0: Then two minutes late?
1: Yes, no, two and a half. Uh, Brad, I have not gotten my Helodermas yet. Still trying to figure out the uh, the situation. I don't want to go and get something if Reed said he was gonna work on making, if we were gonna plan a, a weekend for me to go up there and just build something, so. Boy, I got my new, my new setup. Like I got oh, yeah? my right here next to me. I can just tweak it as I go. In fact, I'm thinking I want my voice to be sexier. I'll drop the low end a little bit and uh, then I won't sound like a prepubescent boy.
0: I don't think you've ever sounded like a prepubescent boy. I don't know. I mean like my voice is cracked on occasion. <clears throat>
1: And this uh, this desk has a cup holder.
0: Well, that's fucking nifty.
1: For my bang, the, we um, talked to Bang about sponsoring this shindig. Uh, Radical schedule. Sure.
0: whatever works. The um, um, I noticed that at least in my head. <laughs> Ryan Cox says Phil has a hoodie on. It must be like like sixty five degrees. It's actually uh, sixty one, um, and it, it is not cold in the least capacity. But it's an excuse for me to wear the hoodie because it is the Herbert Culture Magazine. Um, I noticed that when I have the headphones on, I don't know if it's my. I, I don't know if I'm subconsciously making my, my voice deeper. It sounds way deeper in my head. Does that
1: make sense? I guess. Let me see. I don't know. Yeah, my background's <laughs> fake, guys. It's not actual wood. I'm sorry. That's that's a little better, I guess. That's not up. I just feel weird that it's, like, looking down upon me. I don't know. I'm still... This new desk is pretty sweet. It's a gaming desk. I'm not a gamer, but... It's got the little shelf that a monitor would go on, but it's holding all my knickknacks and cigar stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool. For 25 bucks. like I looked it up, this thing new is like 160 But because we have so many Marines and stuff here, they're constantly getting orders to go somewhere else. And so they like off all this brand new furniture and stuff for next to nothing because they need it gone. So $25, I got...
0: That's awesome.
1: My very, very uh, new I, desk.
0: I know that you're like comfortable and you just like put everything where you want it to be, but I kind of want to see the desk,
1: you know? I mean, if you want to see the desk, I'll show the desk, but I can't because I can't see what I'm what I'm looking at or what the camera's looking at. All right.
0: We can tell you to go up, down, left, right. Oh, wow. Look at you.
1: It's a cup Very professional. Where'd it go? That's me. Here we go. I got the soundboard over there, so I can mess with stuff. All my cords are in the back. <clears throat> and now the illusion is shattered. That I'm in my garage and not. Uh, Some fancy, exquisite cabin somewhere. That's right. This camera, this camera sits cocked, and I don't like it. There we go.
0: It looks good. I like the (laughs) setup. I like the spread.
1: He's funny. Uh, So yeah, this is episode 67 of Snakes and Stogies, uh, brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons. They're right here in the comments, hanging out with us. We had them on THP last week, and uh, it was a good time. It was a good show.
0: It was a great time. It was a great show. Great people, our kind of people. Um, I don't know if you guys are Instagram people that are watching and or listening, but PG Sound Pythons is very, very close to hitting the 2,000 followers mark. So if you want to be one of those individuals or one of those pages that brings them to the cream on top, right for the sifting, be that person. Click that button.
1: Yeah. They got a little bit of everything.
0: That I do. So, what are we smoking tonight? As you are unable to talk because you're smoking a cigar,
1: I am rolling with a CAO flathead six sixty.
0: Nice. They
1: just nice. A, such a solid smoke. We sell them for like eight ninety five. Flavors always. Every time I smoke these, I always ask myself why I don't smoke them more often because they're just. There's every time they're surprisingly good. It's like I don't remember these being as good as they they are. Every time. Yeah. So I was in the shop earlier today, while I was out running some errands, and uh, said, "You know what? Tonight's a 660 night, and then I have a cro Magnum Toro as, as second second round." So.
0: What are you smoking? Excellent. Uh, I was gonna smoke one of the, uh the, the leaf um because it's been at least two months since I had one. But I'm down to the remember those intemperance I got for Carpet Fest? Yeah. I'm down to the last two. And I'm like, all right, it's time.
1: Dude, those would have been it. gone in like a week for me.
0: Yeah, well, I have to savor them because I can't get them by me. they, they don't they don't do Roma anymore anywhere by me. They don't. They don't do flatheads either. So you need to get that son of a Just gun. Need, in you need to come.
1: So. You need to come see me. That's all.
0: I know. That I know. And uh, your corn snake, uh, your Palm Beach County corn snake, uh, housed housed its first meal, and uh, I was a little worried that it was going to do the thing where it's like, "Oh my God, food! Oh
1: my God, I'm in captivity!" Ah.
0: And it was like, oh no, that's that's going to down inside of my belly right now.
1: It was glorious. Dude, all of mine th- no hesitation. Like, same thing. It was like they're like food is food. I don't care if I'm here, if I'm out there, it's a meal. So
0: well, I I wasn't gonna go I wasn't gonna tell the story just because it's kind of gross, but I feel like it's actually a helpful concept, especially with people that are Doing a small amount of field collecting if they so desire to. So, as most of you guys listening, watching know, people like myself and Justin, we have kind of a a code of ethics in terms of field collection. Um, You know, whether it's protected, whether you're in a natural area that's to be undisturbed, you know, if it's something in someone's backyard and and they're going to hit it with a shovel or, you know, you don't have the ability to relocate it or you just want to keep it for yourself and roll. As long as it's not, in my personal opinion, I don't like baby, baby, baby. But I also would never take anything that's over, you know, See,
1: a, I want, a teenager. I Want as close to the egg as I can get.
0: See, I'm I'm just neurotic. I want to get at least let them get the first couple meals in them on their own, you know, in the wild, and then, and then I'll take them. But you know, I, I never keep adults that kind of thing. If it looks like uh, if it looks like it's a little under the weather and it's the right size, I'll try and you know, fix them up a little bit, give them water in the field, whatever. nurse
1: it back to health. This snake
0: yeah so this snake was the perfect specimen to be field collected it had no paras- external parasites it looked hydrated it looked healthy it had spunk you know it rattled its tail it S'd up it struck I was like this little sucker's coming home so it had a lump in it right so my friends are like oh man look he's got a meal let's uh, let's be a little careful with it you know because we don't want him to yak it up and it, it was probably a, a, a Southern toad or maybe, you know, a baby bird or something. It wasn't a big lump. Well, I got him home and I put him in like a little plastic shoebox just for the night because it was late. And I honestly, I'll be, be honest, I didn't feel like setting him up in, a, in the quarantine area. Um, And he threw up three adult Brown and Moles. Huh. I didn't know that that animal had the ability to consume three adult brown and I mean, they're pretty the big. Yeah, and it didn't look like it had like a giant mass in it. It just looked like a little lump right in the middle. And it, one of them you could see was like rolled up in a ball. Like it had been rolled up in a ball. Uh, they were all fresh. They were all undigested. So it must have ate those minutes, if not hours, before I found them. And I just, I thought that was fascinating, you know, just hmm. their ability to, to do that. And of course I gave him a few days to calm down and relax. Then I gave him his food and he's happy. He's good, but it was just crazy. Like I, I it, you know, cause we feed a big rat to a Python or to a, a small bow or something. And like you see the giant lump and you're like, oh man, that meal was way too big. This didn't look like a big meal. It was crazy. So now I definitely have to deworm it,
1: you know? Hit it with the, the wormy napalm. Uh, should we go ahead and do the drawing for the March raffle? 110%. All
0: right, Rock and roll. And for those of you actually watching, forgive me for lighting this beautiful piece of hand-rolled deliciousness with a freaking bick because my torch literally broke tonight so here, here we are looking like you a crack. you don't
1: have like 30 like me
0: no man i make them last you know
1: all right it's not so... that i'm cheap
0: it's just like nobody sells them all right let's raffle to the raffle
1: let me share my screen so no one thinks that anything was tampered with <clears throat> So we're at random.org. I'm doing one through 25. Generate. 25. Who was 25? I don't think we... Oh! Will Jordan.
0: Congratulations. So,
1: yeah. So we uh, we did a, a box of 20. It's got the... You can't see it. Let me pull up the picture. Damn it. <laughs> McIntyre's in here talking smack.
0: One ring to rule them all, McIntyre.
1: All right. So there's Damn. a Tricky troppo, a Sin Compromiso from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, a Norteño. From Drew Estate, a reserva Don Carlos, uh from Fuente, two Bacas, two Fuente uh Hemingways. Um, I get fit since we're benefiting the Asclepius Snake by Foundation, I figured some Cameroons would be a cool addition, but I didn't want to do all Cameroons just because of how delicate that wrapper is. So Bacas, Arturo Fuentes, um. Uh, two Roma Craft Cro-Magnon Toros, two of the Aquitaine Coronas, two Neanderthal HNs, two Guardian of the Farm JJs, a League of Bravada T-52, a League of Bravada number 9, and two My Father Connecticuts.
0: Hell of a spread.
1: Hell of Where's a spread. the <laughs>
0: And I love how, you know, with the Foundation in mind, it, it's all... It's all African, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? African ambiance.
1: Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Did you have a yep. stroke? I didn't have a stroke. Thank you. Okay, good. Good. Thank you for your concern. I'm all the time concerned. Uh. Probably help if I could type in the uh, password, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that would do it.
1: All right. So, what did we have on the agenda for tonight?
0: A lively show.
1: Let me pull up the graphic because, frankly, I don't remember what I wrote down. That's all right. It's been a a busy day.
0: It's been a a very long day for me as well. I actually had a long weekend, too. I did a bunch of herping and didn't find a single creature. Oof.
1: Figures. Figures. So we raised 60 bucks for the Snake Snakebite Foundation. Nice. Not a ton. Uh, it's still better than nothing. nothing. Better than nothing, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So and to be honest, like, that, that 60 bucks goes a long way in Western Africa it really does.
1: Mhm.
0: You know, whether whether it's paying for fuel to get from, you know, site location hospital, you know, local tribes or it pays for some meals for some folks that are volunteering their time, saving lives. You know, 60 bucks to us is a handful of Starbucks cups of coffee, but 60 bucks in West Africa can, can go a long way. Even if it's just one tank of gas. You know, just to get anti-men and knowledge out to remote areas where people genuinely need it so it's awesome
1: all right so uh the first thing that i had talked about was uh that i had written down was small batch versus large productions so I thought this was kind of an interesting topic to touch on because there are some parallels um, in snakes, like reptiles and cigars. Um, of course. Yeah. So Justin's focus needs to focus. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Boella's python eggs got laid in the States. Um, I believe it's Josh Hansen. Actually, had some happen. This is a pretty big deal considering it has done, it's been done so few uh, worldwide, not even just here in the US. But it's a very interesting uh, and, you know, awesome step in the right direction. And I'm sure he's going to have a ton of information to share oh, yeah. with everybody, you know. So. Very cool, and I know Mark just texted me. I haven't checked my phone yet. I just saw his name pop up. So, PayPal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Phil, free field. <laughs> I guess I am having. A I'm screen trying screen. to. I'm.
0: Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, I'm trying to send something to screen share. Dominique made the mistake of sending me something, so this is going right on the live feed. Share screen. There it is. She texts me. She says, "Look, twinsies." But you're there. You go. <laughs> look at that. I mean, I look like I'm having a stroke. She looks adorable with her handlebar mustache and her Chondry python hoodie. Love it. So yeah, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, the Snakebite Foundation, <laughs> Dominique says, who wore it better? Uh, definitely you, my dear, definitely you. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Snakebite Foundation, um, Snakebite Foundation is a, a group of individuals, mostly from the United States and Europe, that travel to West Africa, majority of sub-Saharan Africa, and uh they're educators on snake bite and treating snake bite in the field. Uh most of them volunteer their time. Uh, almost all of them are, are doctors or, or paramedic and medical staff who specialize in snakes. They're also herbiculturists themselves, love them keep their own animals. And it's just a great organization to support and be a part of because it's not a it's there's nothing political it's strictly about educating people and saving lives because it's not just saving the lives of the humans that get bit by the snakes you know directly and indirectly in the field in their day-to-day lives it's also about saving the species of snakes in which that they are working with side by side you know we farm in their environment we live in their ecosystems you know we traverse their habitat so the best way to do it aside from teaching people about medical aid and anti-venom is to educate people on the types of snakes. Uh, you know, so many people get bit annually worldwide because they were simply trying to kill the snake. Um, there was a survey done so in the I United know, States yeah, a few a lot, years back. A lot
1: of them are walking around barefoot and stuff too and you know, mm-hmm. stuff happens.
0: So, so uh, ASF is actually doing a, a lot of literal ground mm-hmm. boots on the ground, grassroots work, educating, uh, schools, hospitals, medical facilities, and, and local small batch suburban tribes that, you know, they, they still get water from a well, you know, whether they're agriculturists or they're, you know, hoof farmers or what have you, they're being taught by people that genuinely care about the people and the snakes. So mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. I think it's an awesome organization to to look into, and if you can donate, awesome. And just because you can't monetarily donate, doesn't mean you can't, you know, spread their message, spread their information, show people. Um, Justin was kind enough to put the link in the on uh, Facebook Live, and just check it out, man, because they're awesome people helping other people helping snakes. So
1: you know I, yeah, I can't it's not a lot of people support either them enough. Enough. yeah uh, yeah so let's see 1 two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 12 13 14 15 16 17 18 so they have 18 people basically that are the that comprise the uh, ASF Um, one of them being our buddy Brent Schultz of Venom Life, uh, Venom Life Gear and Get Hooked, um, Nathaniel Frank from M Toxins, um, yeah, so those are people that are involved that we know, Ray Morgan, who a lot of us, I'm sure, are are familiar with the Venom interviews, he's the guy who did that, uh, Leslie Boyer, who's, he's a pretty big deal on the medical front as far as, like, Snake bites, especially out west, have gone. Uh, So, yeah, they uh, they do a lot of good stuff, and uh, yeah. Do you see that the video of that guy getting bit by the Russell?
0: I did. It was it it just wasn't good. You know, it's just videos like that always bother me because it's a combination of you're asking for it, you know what I mean? You're just asking for a bad thing to happen. Um, You also think about, there's a high probability that snake's life ended after that incident. So aside from the guy getting bit and possibly facing death himself or major bodily harm, the snake's got a high probability of being killed or dying because it's going to be put in a scenario where it can't live its best life. It's gonna get shoved into a jar or a basket or it's basically going to be deprived warmth and food and water or the stress of biting a human is a really big deal for a lot of snakes and a lot of times the stress of that the trauma from that will cause a, like a little chain reaction and the snakes not going to eat it's not going to drink and it, it could be it could be mean the death of the animal or it could just be killed at the hands of humans you know which is yeah. sad So I think it's hilarious where you've got one guy that's shining this flashlight in the Viper's eyes trying to distract it. And they just, they just don't know any better, but at the same time they know more than enough to hold it by the tail. He's going to try and grab it behind the head. And it's just, that's not how you do it. You just leave it alone, you know, get a broom, sweep it out of the house, whatever. This was, this was pure showboating and, and, We'll never know the tragic end of it, but that's not the snake you want to get bit by. uh,
1: That's one of two videos where we've seen a Russell's Viper levitate. Legitimately
0: uh, levitate.
1: (laughs) And do things that that most people don't think snakes would do.
0: Yeah, I was actually, I talked to Scott Iper tonight for probably about an hour. And uh, it's one of those things where when, when Scott Iper calls you, 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 you can't say no, you, you have to talk to him. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I'm blessed every conversation I have with him because the man is a legitimate textbook of knowledge. So we were actually talking about um, handling techniques, manual, manu- we are starting to cold. Um, no. Nobody drink the Kool-Aid. Um, you know, we're talking about manual right. manipulation, and right? Manual manipulation and uh, body language from the snake, body language from the human. At the same time, we talked about uh, learning the mechanics of the species you're working with. So even if it's not an animal in captivity that you're accustomed to working with, and it's a wild specimen or someone else's specimen, you need to learn the body mechanics of the species you're working with. The same way that we all know that when a python turns its head and just gives you that little look at the corner of its eye, it's probably gonna open its mouth and latch onto you. we learned that because we've been bit by woma pythons, you know, or our friends were bit by woma pythons, or our friends said, hey, watch out, you see that look, he's going to grab you. Um, yeah. Just learning the learning the mechanics of each species and going in line with what you're talking about, Russell's Vipers levitating. Um, you know, Scott was telling me that he had a, a brown, a textilis that he used to, for lack of a better word, showboat with, you know, for, for educational purposes. And he would hold the brown. It was a long enough brown that he could hold it by the tail, which would be just enough body for it to be s'd up on the ground and that that traditional high-speed lapid you know, Austral- Australasian lapid where it's going to launch out, right? Yeah. He would do the, uh, the snake charmer thing where he would wiggle his knee back and forth, keeping the snake's attention. So the snake would lunge, and the majority of the time browns they're not always going to have an open mouth it's going to be a lot of bluffing right it's going to be a bluff strike or a mock charge if you will because their goal is to get away their goal is not to bite you they don't want to injure their mouth they don't want to waste their precious venom that they work so hard to make so a lot of times it's bluffing well when you have the snake by the tail scott knows just enough of the body mechanics of himself and the animal where he can pull the tail backwards limiting its quote-unquote strike range and at the same time, putting the snake off keel so it doesn't have the full amount of balance. And yeah, it looks good. It looks showy. And you're seeing the snake S up. You're seeing the snake strike. But at no point does Scott ever put himself in, in a harm's way because he's learned the b- body mechanics of, of the species. And I say the species because he's telling me that you, I've, I personally have never seen a tiger snake in person, an Australian tiger snake or tecus. He's obviously worked with thousands, if not tens of thousands. So he's telling me that you physically do not do that with a tiger because by you lifting up on the tail and putting that animal off keel, you're actually giving it inertia to raise the bottom, the back half of it up. And it's all it's Mm going to do is turn around and latch onto your hand. And it's just that that just goes back to the student of the serpent to learn the mechanics of the species we're working with. It's harmless or venomous or what have you. There it is. Student of the serpent. Um, because it's gonna make us better uh enthusiasts, it's gonna make us better keepers, it's gonna make us better handlers. Um, and that just goes to show you that you don't hover around the boy. Mm-hmm. Bo- 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 you just because we, we jokingly say that they're gonna levitate, but they fucking jump up and levitate off the ground like a magic carpet, and before you know it, you got venom in your veins.
1: I mean, so, we all saw it with that, that one. It was the one during daylight with the guy with the, the Pilstroms, I think it was, or Hook. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have even seen that thing going as far as it did, but sure enough, dude, it just yeah floats.
0: Yeah. But then you also look at the scenario and you look at the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You look at the set, right? The setting, you look at the, where they oh. are, what they're doing, you don't know how long they were provoking the snake you don't know what's been done to the animal prior to this video being recorded and you don't know this the surrounding scenario right so for me especially with Deboya, all of the Russells that i've worked with over the years <clears throat> excuse me we go very slow we go very calm in fact i've only tailed maybe two or three Russells in my entire life because They were big enough for me to tail, and they were calm enough in the scenario that I had where I'm, I don't want to say I put them at ease. They were still agitated and defensive, but Mm -hmm. they're not lashing out, thrashing around, and I wasn't also trying to grab them with pilstrums. So it, again, goes back to knowing the body mechanics of the species and knowing your surroundings and how are you going to address the scenario at hand. Uh, that that both videos was just a shit show. It was showboating. It was, look at me. I'm going to catch this big, giant, nasty viper. And the viper caught him. And then the other one was, look at me. I'm going to grab by the head and show everyone how cool I am. And it did not end well.
1: My cat reflex reflexes.
0: Yeah. And then, come to think of it, there was that other video of the guy freehandling the Russells. The little baby Russells. Do you remember that? Oh, I don't. That was, I think, that was the most cringeworthy of all of them because that was maybe, uh, maybe a year ago or eight nine months ago. Someone in an urban environment, uh, a bustling, if you will. He's got a baby Russell Swiper and he's playing with it in his hand as if it's a corn snake, and. The Russell's is not stressed. It's just chilling. He's giving it, you know, the tread through his fingers. And you watch that Russell's Viper. You just watch its face turn. It gets that little glimmer in its eye. And it wasn't. It literally is just like, meh, real quick. And he's like, ha, oh, ha, oh, oh, And the video cuts out, you know, of course. You don't know what happens. But any of us would have seen that that look in its eye, that little, like, I'm going to bite this and see if I can eat this finger. His finger looks young. That's, yummy, sort of that's
1: you that know? stop and contemplation.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. You, I think that before when we were talking about it. Thought like of. That's, can that's I bite stop this? And like this?
1: Wait a second. Something can smells I? like food.
0: Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm being held. I don't want to be held anymore.
1: You this know,
0: the ground. That's the most cringeworthy. Which
1: one? I just say, like, it realized it wasn't wasn't crawling on the ground. It was being held by some giant ape.
0: Yeah, right? So, So.
1: Kendra said, speaking of free handlers, how do you feel about the new Netflix show that's being filmed?
0: How do I feel? I feel like there's nothing that we're going to do, any of us, to stop or alter or change them doing it. So yeah, sit back and see what happens. I'm the kind of guy where I'm very pragmatic in my life. I'm very pragmatic, I, I, I don't, I'm not glass half empty. I'm not a full blown pessimist. I'm the guy that kind of thinks of all the bad stuff, not thinking or assuming it's gonna happen, but God forbid it does, I'm more than prepared, right? but I try to do everything in my power to not worry about things that are legitimately out of my control, you know, whether it be legislation or a possible bad movie documentary, making us look bad. Who knows? We're never going to know until it's actually out. And yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: Dom raises a good point. You don't Mm -hmm. understand because you didn't watch tiger King.
0: I watched enough Tiger King to know what was going on.
1: (laughs) She said, who's going to be the Herb Carol Baskin? Is it going to be Kendra? Watch out, Jeff.
0: (laughs) Nice. It's good. Good. So, yeah, I say uh, we sit back and see what happens, and who knows? It could show something in a different light. Or it could be a shit show and makes us all look bad. Who knows?
1: I'll say I'm a, or, I'm a bit more. No, until it's out? A bit less optimistic.
0: Yeah, but uh, again, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I'm not going to raise blood pressure over it. We'll see what happens. We have no idea. Now, Netflix doesn't have the greatest track record of making people look good at all in their documentaries. But we'll see what happens.
1: They're gonna be entertaining the masses at our expense, and if something severe happens to the hobby, the masses won't care. The masses got their their one season of that wacky show with the wacky people, and mm-hmm. they probably don't realize what's going on. As I guarantee you, they don't know what's going on legislation wise. You know, currently, it's like it's not gonna get any better from there. They don't
0: care. Why would they care?
1: Exactly. Well, that's what I'm they're saying. They're gonna make their
0: money. That's it. Yeah. They
1: no. They're gonna watch. They're gonna watch their show. Go. Wow. Those people are nuts. And then move on to the next show the following week. Like, exactly. On to the next documentary. Exactly. On to the next movie. Yeah. And everything just gets left in ruins afterwards. You know. So, I don't know. I'm not not particularly stoked about it. Who knows when it's even going to no. be a thing? It could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. Whatever. Who knows? But
0: well. Do you remember how I said that we were next? Yeah. You know, so sometime after that, I um, I got word that this show was coming out. I didn't know it was going to be called, you know, Snake King or whatever it's going to be called, Cobra King, whatever. But I knew it was coming. Um, I didn't really say anything because it was rumors. It was who knows. You know, people talk a lot of smack. Right. Yeah, it's all hearsay. Um, but I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. And like I've said before, I'm not going to lose sleep over something out of my control. I'm going to play the cards that are dealt. I'm going to roll. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play the cards that are dealt. I'm not just, I I can't turn my hand in the, you know, the bets already on the table. So the best that I can do is hope that I get a, a good hand of cards.
1: Oh my God, Cox. Don't get me started on Bridgerton. My wife's all about that show. It's literally just like softcore porn set in the like colonial times when everyone had syphilis.
0: That'll happen. That'll happen. So now that we're all morbidly depressed, um, yeah. what's next yeah. on the agenda?
1: Small batch versus large productions in cigars and yeah. in snakes or reptiles. Okay. Where do you stand? Do you, so we, with cigars, you get large companies that are more or less distributors for many of the larger brands like CAO, you order those through a company called General, which they have just a massive, they're like an umbrella sort of corporation sort of thing where they have a bunch of smaller brands that fall into their sort of their 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 brand of of what they handle and then you have brands like Romacraft, like what phil is smoking where it's a smaller company with a smaller factory and you know they're they're it's craft beer versus bud light is basically what you could look at it as um so the i guess sort of the thing that got my gears turning was like you have guys in snakes and in cigars that uh You have the guys that are hardcore craft beer guys, and if you even mention Bud Light, they scoff and you get looked down upon. And I think that kind of ties very much into that ties very much into the the sort of the locality, hardcore locality people. Uh, But then at the same time, you have like the large kind. You have have the Bud Lights, you have the acids from Drew Estate, where. You know those hardcore guys are going to shun it, but it's, you know they are going to be super popular. But there is always going to be that core group that that maybe has had one or two and they said never again. You know, same with snakes. Like you get some of these bigger companies that are popping out snakes like crazy. People either love them or hate them. So I was curious, what your what's your sort of if you saw that in venomous stuff as well, or I don't know. I'm like super well, I, foggy tonight for some reason. I'm waiting on this bang to kick in. Well, I'll say
0: this. Um, I am a snob in a lot of my life, Um, whether it's my work or cigars or not so much snakes, but I wish I was a snake snob. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I'm I don't think I'm in as deep as I would like to be to be a snake snob, if that makes any sense. But when it comes down to brass tacks, my personal opinion is being a snob or let me rephrase this. Okay. Having a snob mindset is not a bad thing because you are seeking out the finest of fine, you're seeking out the guidance and you're 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 focusing on the craftsmanship at hand and and really enjoying it for what it is. However, being a snob is just douchey. And that I try not to be that guy, even though in my mind I may be like. That's garbage. I'm not drinking that. I'm not smoking that. At the same time, I'm not going to necessarily be like, "That's garbage. Get that out of here." You know what I mean? I'm going to be, you know, polite about it. Um, I feel like the breeders that breed stuff in mass volume to fill the needs of the hobby and community. Kudos to them, because at the same time. Like, let's just use, we go back to Bud Light or Budweiser, right? So Budweiser has multiple different lines within it. And even though we all talk about how, you know, Bud Light is trash, garbage, you know, beer-flavored water, everyone's going to drink it. Doesn't matter where you're at. Somebody's drinking it. And they still do their small batches, you know? So we, we go to cigars a company like Drew Estate that has all these different brands, all this different, you know, selection, the
1: catalog
0: is massive portfolio, massive catalog. They're going to have small batches and we're going to seek them out and enjoy them and, and covet them. But I don't like it when they make it an elitist concept where, okay, you know, like the H99s, they only made so many of them. I get that. But then you find out later on that well, no, they did that on purpose because they want to keep up the allure. You know, it's like a company that that tells you, oh, only five hundred of these are made. So everyone wants it. And then six months later, they make another five hundred. And then a year after that, they bring it back. They make another 500. I mean, there um, like
1: there are companies like Crown you know, Heads does a lot of calaveras once a year. And I mean those are depending on which year you're talking about, some years have been really good. Some have been horrible as far as like the flavors of that cigar, but like some of them do do annual releases where they're like, we only did, you know, a thousand boxes of this this year. So get them while you can. Like I kind of understand, like if they're doing something sort of unique and something different, uh, you know, it does drive sort of a demand, but you know, you're going to have, I feel like that kind of stuff is much more catered to sort of the nerds, you know, the cigar nerds that are, they want that, you know, but the guys that are just kind of like whatever smokers they smoke, maybe once or twice a month, they smoke, you know, acids or, uh, you know, Macanudos. They're not hardcore guys. They're just like, I just like a cigar. You know, that's not the guys they're, they're aiming for with that. You know, they're going for the, the collectors quote unquote. And, uh, you know, the hardcore connoisseurs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's all great. And we, when we go to, the snakes, or herpeticulture, lizards, or whatever—you're going to have your bigger breeders. That, I mean, let's face it: we're, we're not brewing beer, we're not growing tobacco. We're, we're dealing with livings, and we're doing everything in our power to convince them to reproduce so that we can sell their offspring. Let's let's call it what it is. And you'll have your bigger breeders. Like I think it was Mark and Kimbell had like over a thousand adult California Kingsnakes at one point, like they're producing massive amounts of California Kingsnakes to feed the pet trade, you know, Um, which is great because you're not plucking them out of California anymore. And at the same time, it's making them more affordable and it's diversifying everything that's out there. I have Billy Bob down the street who has like two pairs and he produces a beautiful baby California Kingsnake. And if I want one and The $100 one, well, maybe not $100 anymore, but back in the day it was 100 bucks bucks from the private breeder or 40 bucks from the large breeder, it comes down to that snobbiness. Is is the product at hand, because let's face it, we're we're considering it a product at this point, is the product at hand really better from the private breeder opposed to the larger breeder, the the small breeder, the larger breeder? and if the product's the same, then it really doesn't matter. And that comes down to your personal opinion of it.
1: Well, I'd you see know, the way I see it. Is
0: like, I like to. It, go ahead. No, I was going to say personally, I would try my damnedest to go with the smaller personal breeder because I feel like there's a better connection there. And it's it's small, small batch, so to speak, because it is small batch. You know, it's mom and pop opposed to chain store. And I want to kind of support that person. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I don't want to support the other company or the other people. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I so look at it a little say, like, I see it as so you have the people that have the thousand, thousand kink snakes that they're cranking out to fulfill wholesale orders, whatever. <laughs> but that one person that's only has uh, 10 pairs, but they're focused on one phenotype or you know two or three phenotypes out of that group you know they're really putting a lot of effort into bringing out certain traits and they've been grinding at it for years and years and years like again i think it's catering to different hobbyists you know you have the guys that are looking that want that that crafted sort of uh you know line bred animal and then you have the people that are like i just want a cow king as long as it's black and white, I don't care, you know, and it's it's, that's true. You're always going to get, I see it in cigars all the time at the shop. You know, you always get people that come in, they don't, they haven't smoked a ton of cigars. Um, they probably couldn't tell you the difference between, you know, any budget stick and anything else, but they want the most expensive thing in there just because it's the most expensive, most expensive thing. Right. Right. So you're, you know, and,
0: it it also comes down to to um it also comes down to we're dealing with a living creature right Mm -hmm. and you can't pick out crap on a living creature You, you can't you can you can examine the line breeding and the phenotypic breeding and stuff to produce a desired result in theory um and a locality phenotype that may be a completely different color or a completely different pattern. That's not the same as quote unquote craftsmanship because when it comes down to brass tacks, the DNA is the same. The health of the animal is the same in theory, right? So like we talk about cars, we talk about guns, we talk about electronic devices, you know, a Kia, a Kia and a Mercedes or a Lamborghini is a Mercedes or a Lamborghini. They both are cars. They both use gas. They both have four tires. They both get you from someone who has the means to acquire the Ferrari buys the Ferrari because they want the craftsmanship of the Ferrari. And I actually got into a discussion with one of my friends recently about this. It's like, he quote, craftsmanship of the Ferrari is worth the price tag compared to most luxury Kia or Hyundai you, you, or, 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 and I said, yeah, yeah, but you, from an engineering point of view, that the Ferrari is far more advanced in its craftsmanship and engineering and design than the Kia. But then again, just because the Kia is not designed and engineered of, of workings, that it's bad it's still great. It's still a great car. It's still going to do a good job. It's going to have good gas mileage and do what its intended purpose is. So when we look at the cigars and the craft beer, we can kind of tamper with that craftsmanship concept. But when you're producing a living creature, other than it having some kind of birth defect or abnormality from poor genetics, the craftsmanship is essentially the same, is it not?
1: Physically, yes, but then I think you have the the difference of, you know, someone gets a snake and they want more information on it. That person that only did ten pairs, is probably going to be able to tell you better as far as what it came from than the thousand cow kings from right. You know,
0: but so now, but just to play devil's advocate, now we're not talking about the car you bought. We're talking about the dealership you bought it from. And that's a whole nother level of of yeah. uh, for lack of what I mean. Yep. It's it's now you're now you're acquiring the specimen or the product because of the, the the manufacturer, for lack of a better word, or the dealer that you bought it from, opposed to what it actually is.
1: So, Bill Bradley said, I think it also depends on the product. Small batch allows for detail refinement. Large production allows for purchase power and resource allocation slash efficiency. Uh, not you, Henry. Uh, you can be a master artisan, but if your ingredients suck, then you're always falling behind. Amateurs can start with the best ingredients, then use medi- <clears throat> then use mediocre skill, which is also I agree with. Uh, I mean, I think... Condros, I think, are a great example of this. You know, you have the guys that are focused on the blues, the tigers. Uh, yeah. I mean, here we go. Bill said it too. He said, this is wild caught versus CBB. An artisan can work a wild caught green tree an amateur gets a captive bread and both get beautiful green snakes, which is true. Uh, and that's, I guess why you see the, the price gap. Um, I don't know. I, I should have wrote down my, my thoughts earlier when I thought about this to talk about it. Cause I feel like I'm forgetting something, but, i don't know i'm i'm fuzzy right now for some reason i don't i, I don't think that
0: i don't think being a snob is a. I don't think having a snobs mindset is bad i think being a snob is a little uncouth but i don't think thinking like that is wrong um i also think it comes down to the per- purchasing it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um if you want something you're gonna weigh out and do your research and say, okay, well, I could buy this animal from this person. I could buy that animal from that person. I could buy this animal from this breeder. Which one of suits my needs best? And it really comes down to a matter of personal opinion, a matter of personal preference. It's not like there's only one person breeding chondros. You know, we're at a point now right. where there's lots to choose from. You know, do I want the locality-specific stuff, or do I want the designer? You know, it's a mut when it comes down to brass tacks, but it looks really cool or it has the potential to look really cool. So to each their own, you know, it's
1: up to you. That word mutt always drives me crazy because I don't know about you, but to me it implies ugly. Okay. Like I always I, think I about see, it. I don't think ugly. Let's see. Well, I get it from carpet pythons because you see mutt carpets and a lot of times you see it in the group, since people saying, I just got this off Craigslist, what is it? And so I don't know. Maybe I've, I've built my own sort of mental association of like mutt means subpar aesthetically. Um, okay. But it's funny when I hear you say that in terms of green trees, my first thought is there's no such thing as a mutt and green trees because they're all awesome. But right, I've but seen see, some mutt, mutt that were not anything to write home about.
0: Right now forgive me for you i'm using the word mutt not in an ugly way or that the animal is subpar i'm using a mutt in the stance of it has multiple different lineage that cannot be traced to any one specific you know original point you see what i'm saying so if i take a Biak and a lira and a it up a little bit i think and <laughs> no but uh, look i have i have five different green tree look they're all s- slopped together you know it, it, how do i phrase this it's not ugly because it's not how do i how do i do this try not to get all right hold on let me let me let me formulate <laughs> this sentence okay all right i take I take, a, I take a lager from Pennsylvania. I take an IPA from California. I take a step from Florida. I pour them all in the same cup. It's
1: disgusting. It
0: could taste delicious. It could be the wonder beer. And I, I just humor me for a minute. It could be the most delicious thing you've ever had. But there are people who will not drink it because it's not just one of those things that makes sense i guess and that comes down to personal opinion it does
1: i don't know it's just you, you hear people use opinion. it you hear, you hear people online say oh it's a mutt like to me that it, it just has yeah. been used in a, in a connotation now that just makes it the word mutt just seems i guess derogatory is the word where it's like
0: right but all right so, and the reason why it's derogatory and henry please correct me because henry's the dog guy here from my understanding, mutt was a derogatory term for a dog that was a breed cross and not of pure breed. So, you know, the Jack Russell from The Neighbors came over and bred with the, you know, million-dollar poodle, and all those puppies are now worthless because they can't sell the puppies for a million bucks a piece because they're not pure poodles. That doesn't mean dogs are ugly. It just means that that elitist, that snob, like we talked about, cannot sell or show or whatever those those quote-unquote supposed to be purebred poodles because now they're crossed with Jack Russell Terrier and vice versa. So I'm not using the word mutt in a derogatory stance of, oh, it's ugly because it's a mutt, it's a hybrid, it's a whatever. I'm using it in the stance of it's not the locality specific, it's not the breed specific because it's been crossbred. I don't know. Just my thought.
1: It's every time I hear someone use the word "mutt" when they're referring to like a carpet or something, it just feels. Henry Henry it's just texted
0: Mutt does not apply to snakes, so I don't know what that means. But
1: I don't think it applies to chondros because yeah. I mean they're all pretty. But I also think right, that's kind you're of thing. Assuming... What do you mean?
0: You're assuming that, that you're assuming the word mutt is derogatory means ugly. In my book, it doesn't mean ugly in my mind. I'm not thinking of it. Like if someone says, oh, that dog's a mutt. I don't think it's ugly. I think it has multiple breeds in its blood.
1: I'm gonna say, you know so, I mean? okay. Let me rephrase it. Ugly is not the word I'm, I'm looking for. The uh, subpar or like B grade is the word is what comes to mind when I hear the word mutt used in terms of snakes.
0: Okay, I could see it. But that comes from a process where if it's not a certain way, it's wrong. Right?
1: No, I'm I'm saying like I disagree with it. Like if someone if someone had a killer carpet that looked awesome, but they had no idea what it was or they knew it was an outcross of some sort and someone's still going to call it a mutt even though it's an awesome-looking snake and still be like I I don't know that that's a label I'd necessarily throw on it. Like if someone saw you. that you know my designer green trees or whatever, they're like, that thing's a mutt, those are horrible. I'm like the first thing I'd say is, hey, like fuck you, these things are gorgeous. I don't care what it is, it's pretty. I just have always said right, it you're, always but again you're, in, a, in, in the context of it's it's sub.
0: Okay, so, like, for example, I I gave my friend Chris, I had a diamond jungle. It was an F1 diamond jungle. The thing is friggin' fantastic looking. It is stealthy. It's a mud. It's not a purebred diamond. It's not a purebred jungle. So, Henry's yelling at us to stop talking about this, (laughs) because apparently we're very wrong.
1: I I don't know. Like I said, I'm, like, I'm struggling to focus and... Uh, But Dom did ask a good question earlier. If they asked you to film in quote unquote Cobra King or whatever they're going to call it, uh, would you say yes and attempt to show the hobby in a good light or say no on principle? What's up, Brennan?
0: What makes you think they haven't? They haven't. I'll just be honest. They haven't. I, uh, I get asked a lot of questions about the stuff that we do, the stuff that I do, um, from people that don't know anything about it. Um, and I never turn down a question. Like that old saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question. That's um, the truth. Because if you don't ask, you'll never know. So I get asked questions all the time. Co-workers, customers, friends of friends, you know, family members members, all kinds. It's usually the same questions. Do you let them roam around your room? Like, no. Like, I have cages. Like, that kind of thing. Um, Will you just pick them up, right? You just hold them? So it's tough because where they're filming this thing, you have no idea how they're going to twist it. You have no idea what they're going to make you look or how they're going to make us look. It makes you extremely apprehensive it does Um, and at the same time they could tell you how it's going to be this glorious thing and make shine uh, cast a beautiful light on everything they could be full of shit but you signed that contract so I would have to evaluate the questions that were being asked to me I would have to evaluate how things are being looked at and filmed I would at no point show me handling anything I would at no point show any of my own personal animals, my own personal collection, or the facilities that I work in. Um, but it's a it's a it's a lot of what ifs, because it's not just a, oh yeah sure I'd do it. No no, it's a lot of what ifs. It's the stars have to align for me to do something like that.
1: I don't know that I'd entertain it at all. I mean, it's been pretty well documented, especially with like Animal Planet and stuff. Uh, I remember someone did a it's either on a website or a forum post about whoever it was that was doing the fatal attraction show on animal planet, like the producer was, was asking the questions as far as like the filming of the interviews and stuff. And they, they were really looking for a certain answer. Of course they weren't, they weren't just wanting to look at the name of the show. I, I understand. I'm saying Yeah. they're fishing for the, 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 the context and the frame that they want things to be portrayed in. Right. And so to me, I may think that I'm doing this for the, you know, betterment of the hobby by being in this, you know, production or whatever, but knowing damn well that they're probably going to chop it up and completely, uh, just butcher whatever I may have done or said that was done in, in good, good conscience. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't even bother because I just I don't trust them. So you, know, I'll you don't have you, any. You don't have course. any control after they've packed up and left. You have no control over what happens to that footage.
0: Well, that's <clears throat> well. You you would to a certain degree because you have contractual obligations and lawsuits and all that shit. But let me let me give you a what if here. A suppose, if you will. So the Netflix people call you to do this stuff. You tell them no for obvious reasons because Netflix. And as much as we love watching their stuff, it's not trustworthy, right? And then you get a phone call from a British phone number, and it's David Attenborough. And he says that we're filming a documentary on the relationship between shorebirds and uh, semi-aquatic turtles. And we're going to be in the Buford area, and you were recommended to us from Ryan read a Beaufort reptile guy and we'd love to have you get be our guide for, you know, five days in the swamps. Would you say yes? I'll answer myself hundred percent, 110% yes. Because you look at the differences, the probability, you still can't trust them. You still can't trust them. You're still gonna have a contract. You're still gonna have, you know, the ability to, to have liable situations, right? the people and the way that it's filmed from the track record gives you a better feeling that it might not be all that bad. Plus you get to meet David Attenborough and that's going to be cool as hell, but it comes down to who's doing what. It's a what if scenario. You can't answer it until you're put in that exact predicament, you know?
1: I don't know. They, I mean, like Reed is a good, good example. He was national geographic did that, that show on the, the, snake preacher people yes and uh one of those episodes they went to the columbia show and they were wanting some some rattlesnakes and copperheads i believe it was and they went to reed's table and there was this you can find it on youtube i'll actually have to hunt it down but the guy comes up to the table with the film crew and everything and says like oh you know i'm one of the the preachers that handles the venomous snakes and you know i'm looking to buy this and this and in typical sort of reality tv fashion they sort of chop it up and make this quick cut sort of sound bite of where you know and uh you know you could tell reed was having none of it he wasn't a jerk or anything like that but it's kind of funny like the last frame is like reed turning and walking away and they made it seem like reed just kind of like stopped talking and just kind of left yeah. Which I think we know that Reed wouldn't do that. Reed's not that kind of guy. Right. So like even something that is, is not you know, they have to, everything has to be so like intense, and we see it on YouTube all the time. Everything's just gotta be so over the top and very like it could be someone freaking taking carrots out of their garden and they're gonna make it sound like it's jumping out of an airplane, you know. It just yep. pick an apple out yep. of an orchard. Oh, there's a spider, it's gonna kill you. Yeah, it's just it's It's exhausting. It really is. Like The -the over-the-top stuff, the clickbaity stuff, it's just, it's crap. You're right. I know everyone was was real upset with the whole bar check thing after all this legislation. You know, there was the big thing of him falling over a retake or something like that. And, you know, I got injured by an 18-foot python or whatever it was, you know, the title, and it was... Yeah, that doesn't help us. Uh, I thought it was yeah. it was kind of interesting to see a lot more people sort of be a little more vocal about it, given all the legislation. Um, but oh, Fatal Attraction is on Prime. Hmm. Huh. I don't know. I've, ignore me. I'm I'm like I'm I'm not I'm not on top of it tonight. My brains, I got you. Half capacity right now. We're also
0: talking about a lot of stuff. We're, we're talking about a lot of topics tonight that people, especially in our community, generally don't want to talk about. Uh, it's very, very opinionated, and to the point where people are extremely passionate about it, very emotionally driven with it. Um, but there is a lot of rational thought. Uh, a lot of us are on the same page. A lot of us are not. That does not mean that we can't live harmoniously together and make things work and come to compromise and stuff. But the ability to display scenarios on a vast scale makes it makes a person extremely weary to trust anyone or anything in this regard. So again, I'm not going to lose sleep on over it until I have something to lose sleep over. And I will hope for the best.
1: That's it. So, I'm reading what what Scott said. He said, yeah, yeah, you can. Your shit cut from a screen grab to make you look like you had a stroke, too. People can be ruthless. When did that? Yeah. I must have missed something.
0: No, talking about when... Dominique did the mustache.
1: No, oh. <laughs> but she also—I mean, she she mentioned Doc Annel, and uh, you know, he doesn't. I'm, or Cox said, "I'm sure they told Doc Annel that they were going to make him look good." And he—he he strikes me as the type that—that that is probably one of those like any press is good press sort of sort of guys. Like he doesn't—you could show him killing a cage of kittens and he'd probably be like, Yeah, I'll do it. You know. It's exposure is exposure to, to some people and they you know, there's I that's that's everyone's personal level of uh I guess integrity. Like that that threshold's gonna be different for, for everyone. But I don't know. I think we, we're in kind of a position where we have to be a little more wise about, you know, what we're putting out on the Ethernet and, and uh uh,
0: absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more
1: oh but anyways i also since the five herp room must-haves have, has been such a a regular it's been a regular piece in the magazine now for a couple of issues and i i really like doing that piece because i'm always interested to see what people are using you know because that's a good way to get ideas and you know improve your your husbandry or you know things to make life simpler make life easier uh, and so i wanted to know what fills do you have anything in your room that you think is sort of out of the norm that you find extremely useful that maybe people wouldn't have thought to use um well or like hacks i guess is the better word for it Herp room hacks
0: okay uh, so alligator clips everybody knows what an alligator clip is um i have very large very hard to close spring springs that'll like steel. break your
1: hand just trying to open them
0: right i have those um i use them way more than i ever thought i would i have ones that hold heat lamps up in the air i have ones that i use for bagging snakes um I have ones I use for you know holding the holding a garbage bag up if I need a, a bigger garbage bag if I'm changing a bunch of substrate.
1: Mm-hmm. You know those
0: those those metal clips are very very helpful. Um, uh, having extra containers to contain an animal. So like for example, a lot of venomous people and a lot of non-venomous people too, they have a big rubbermaid trash can that they, they use as a containment vest because they put mm-hmm. the snake in. A lot of times the snake doesn't have the ability to come to the top. It's mm-hmm. basically like. A, a pit, yeah, if like you Like a don't.
1: well or. Yeah.
0: yeah. <clears throat> right. Excuse me. <laughs> have more. Have a door sweep. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Door sweep. Cough, cough, so,
1: Justin. <clears throat>
0: right. um Having extra containers for containment. So I have my primary Rubbermaid trash can with my lid. But if. If I got a Coke, it's squirrely. I have other containers that maybe are not as large or as you know readily available. I may have a container that's up on a shelf. I may have a, a big uh, Sterilite bin that I use for soaking and spraying down certain species. I may have that off in the corner, but it's still within grabbing range or I can use the hook or a set of tongs, depending on what I'm doing, grab it with the hook, slide it towards myself. Now I have a second container because it, the snake may not want to stay in the garbage can or it may not want to stay in the road made tub and then you have to put it in your garbage can or how, however you do it but have multiple avenues uh, of containment because you may have to abort one container for another container you know the lid on that deli cup may have cracked and now you're like oh crap that lid's broken well where's the lids well have another one handy um um i like having a mister a sprayer like the with the long stem right so it's a gun with a long nozzle and then a very long cord that goes to a a, a small tank right a small container like the the ones people
1: use for like pesticides and fertilizers and stuff
0: yes yes exactly that's exactly what we're talking about that thing is so helpful because i can crack the cage open slide that you know 14 15 inch nozzle into the cage mist when I want to mist. it has it's, it's made of plastic that's bendy or rubber that's bendy so it has yeah. some ply, some some give to it um and I can keep a safe distance mm-hmm. and still make it rain in the enclosure or I can reach it in and fill a water dish with it and only have the cage cracked open a centimeter and a half so those are actually very very helpful um a dustpan a normal dustpan. Um, I love using a normal rubber dustpan. I use it to, to pick up large clumps of mulch or you know soiled substrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used it to uh, smoothen out sand, um, and I use it to sweep the room up. You know, obviously I'm sanitizing it when using it with animals and stuff like that. But a dustpan, people don't even think to use that. You know, everyone has these fancy smat sand sifters and all kinds of weird, unique tools, but a dustpan can be pretty helpful. You know, Hmm. I mean, crap, I've, I've, I've used it as a, as a shield once or twice. You (laughs) know what I mean? Just kind of hold it up real quick. But, uh, but things that you wouldn't normally think that you have in your home can definitely work quite well in the snake room. So, the next episode yep. of Venomous Etiquette Videos will actually be on primary tools. Um, and I said, whenever say prim- we actually get it, primary tools. Yeah, I'm working on things. I, I, I was displeased with my current motif. So, I'm going to be doing some cutting and pasting and some some editing, if you will. Uh, get some some new music in there, get some new sounds in there. It's a work in progress. I, I don't half asset. it. I'd rather I'd rather take my time and, and and do it proper so it looks good, opposed to just be being slapped together and thrown on the internet. Um, but yeah, the, the the next episode is going to be primary tools, uh, so that, that's going to be like snake hooks, snake tongs, tubes, stuff like that. Um, and then I'm in in the next months to come, I'm going to take a couple episodes off, and then we're going to go to secondary tools, which would be something like your garbage can or. Uh, shift boxes or mm. your rubber uh, rubber dustpan who knows
1: yeah i mean as far as room stuff for me i mean i i second the the having empty bins handy uh i find it ec- exceptionally handy when i'm dealing with the the jansen i and moving them to clean cages and stuff um Pretty much to the point to where like I'm willing to keep a 32 quart slot in one of the racks empty just to use it for them because getting them into into pretty much anything is is kind of tough because they're so squirmy, um, and it makes things a little faster when you just have something you can just put something in you know be it corns bairds, whatever um, you know the contours is different because they're just going to sit there on the perch I just put that perch somewhere uh, but I I do actually. I need to figure out a way to make some sort of perch holder so that I can set them on that while I'm cleaning instead of having to find a spot, you know, where they're not touching the, instead of just laying them down on the cart or something, you know? Um, and it sucks because Justin Wilbanks used to make these really awesome metal ones. And I, I always wanted to get some from him, but I'd never made it happen because I think he only did a couple batches of them, but <clears throat> obviously you know, he's not with us anymore. So I can't, I can't do that, but I've been looking to make something out of PVC or, Something of the sort, so I don't know, but um, that spare bin definitely helps. Uh, I've talked about it before, but the you know the light tubes for tubing, non venomous stuff, that's become a lifesaver multiple times. Um, you know, if I have something like the boyga, uh, you know, when my when I did that first pairing and I thought the swelling from the copulatory swelling was something serious you know tubed her real quick I was able to just tuber check it it's nothing cool put her back and instead of having a you know sort of corral her and and pin her or whatever and and you know do all that it was it was much less stressful just tube him, check it put him back Uh, you know dealing with that scrub the other day after he sort of just posted up and was waiting for me to get within his his blood circle Uh, you know just tubed him unwrapped his tail from the nooks and crannies of that uh, tub latch and it made life a lot easier so those are nice i mean they're cheap enough to be disposable if you wanted them to you know you buy one you can cut it in half and you have two tubes because they're like four feet long um obviously there's only like two sizes that i could find that that lowe's sells um so if you're talking about something big and fat like a blood python or something they're not going to work but for thinner stuff like small chondros rat snakes stuff like that they're perfect Um, and then I actually, I was at Will Jordan's house over the weekend because he lives right up the road from me. Uh, and he mentioned chlorhex, like your chlorhex solution instead of in like a regular manual spray bottle, putting it in one of those misters, the pump sprayers, which I, for some reason, never thought about that. That was actually, I thought that was a really good idea. Um, you know, the, the cereal container thing that I use to disinfect tools now, you know, fill that up a third of the way with chlorhex. You put all your tools in the little lid part that opens up. You know, it's it's heavy enough. It has a nice base to where you don't have to worry about tipping over. You know, especially when you're dealing with longer tongs and stuff like you know you deal with. Um, mm-hmm. It makes life a lot easier. Um, I even you know I put my hooks in there after I'm done using them, and I don't know. That's that's come really in handy a lot too. But the little uh, money counter fingertips. I use the hell out of those for stuck shed. Um, yeah, that's something I like Harlan. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. you want those things take like stuck skin? It's it's like a magnet. It just grabs it and pulls it right off. Um, yeah, and that also sort of ties into the whole tubing thing. Like if you have a chondro with stuck stuck eye caps, they're kind of a pain in the ass to corral and grab. So tubing them yeah. is is it's faster. It's easier. It's less stressful. I'm all about it. So, um, yeah, the little pen hooks from Brahms, we've talked about a lot. Those are awesome. I use those a lot still too. Um, the Brita, the filters, like the water filters that I've been using, you know, be it that, that bigger pure model or the, you know, just the Brit of pitchers saved a bunch of money on, on buying gallons of water with that. Uh, I haven't had any issues. I was actually using that filtered water with the dart frogs and never had any problems either. So I feel like if they nice. can handle it, it's probably pretty safe. Uh, yeah. And then today, actually, I bought some more of these. <clears throat>
0: Justin is getting a plastic container of some sort.
1: I am. So I've talked about these with some of y'all in like private chats. At Walmart, sells these little Sistema. It's like a lunchbox, basically, is what it's made for. Is like food storage. It's a little mini like gasket box. Oh wow! This size is. This is a three liter and uh it's got two little latches and then i take my one sixteenth size drill bit and put a tiny pinhole in each corner and then on this because this is a bigger tub than what i used previously like it's deeper um i went ahead and put two on the top and so that's kind of enough to the depressurize things a little bit because obviously if you have it completely sealed up those eggs are generating heat and stuff uh you know you're going to have a difference in air pressure and stuff inside, so that kind of helps decomp things a little bit. Um, sure, sure. But these things are awesome. I mean, six bucks at Walmart. I just put APS in the bottom, the uh, light diffuser, and then some some spag. And this is what I've been doing for the Boyga, and it's been working great. Um, I rolled with this bigger model because the other one.
0: Scott Iper says, welcome to Aussie Herb Keeping. We use Sistema for 10 years, Justin.
1: Yeah, well, they're awesome because they're made in New Zealand. They're closer to you. Uh, so this is what, I was, what I'm using currently, <laughs> and this worked fine, but it's a little shallow. So when you have an egg, like a, a clutch of eggs that's clumped together, they get a little close to the top, especially when you have substrate yeah. and stuff. So I switched from these. Like, this will be fine if I have, like, you know, a clutch that was laid flat and not mounted on top of each other. If that makes any sense to right. to this. So, I mean, it's pretty almost double. Pretty the depth. Yeah. Yeah. Almost double the um, Yeah. Cause this is a two liter. So, uh, and the reason I like these is because it's a clear lid. I take my flashlight cause my, I have a wine cooler converted into an incubator. Um, I like these because I can just shine my light through half the time. I don't even have to do that. I can just look in there, check on the eggs without having to open the main chamber without having to open the egg box. Uh, and it's because before I've used like opaque lids and it sucks. Cause when you want to check on the eggs, you got to open everything, got to open the main chamber, open the egg box. And uh, it's kind of a, kind of a pain. And I feel like the less you have to do that, the better. So switch yeah. to these and they're awesome. I like them a lot let me
0: ask you uh have do you own a rain chamber or have you made a rain chamber no <clears throat> okay so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of a rain chamber uh basically you're getting a plastic tub type container that has a locking lid um and this is for uh rapid skin hydration of a snake or lizard or even some of the turtles and tortoises Um, where they go to shed and the shed is very, very dry and maybe it's patchy. Maybe the snake's dehydrated. Um, and basically what you have is you have your plastic tub and you have, for the sake of keeping even numbers, uh, you have 10 holes in the top that are big enough for water to permeate through and rain. Right. And then if you have 10 holes in the top, you have 15 or 20 holes in the bottom so that it doesn't fill up with water. Right. We don't want to drown the animal. Um, it's used primarily with a lot of arboreal stuff because a lot of arboreal stuff is going to drink rainwater, it's going to drink dew. Um, and at the same time, you can put a perch in there, um, like a piece of PVC or a piece of grapevine or even a, a twig from outside that you've cleaned off and put something in that the animal can sit on or rest on. And then you take that locking sealed tub with the 10 holes on top and 15 or 20 holes in the bottom and you put it in your shower or under the faucet. And you let water pour on the top, and those 10 holes in the top will rain down into the chamber, causing 190% humidity, and it's actually raining in the chamber. And because there's more holes in the bottom than there is the top, the water doesn't you know, fill up, it doesn't, it doesn't rise, and it leaks out the bottom into your bathtub or your sink or what have you. Um, I do not recommend this unless you absolutely have to, because it causes a ton of stress in the snake. Or the lizard or whatever because a lot of species even though they may love the rain they don't want to get stuck in it they want to seek shelter they want to get away from the rain um they may sit there and drink and drink and drink and then start to rub and then be like okay i'm done i gotta get out of the rain i need to seek dry shelter and they start moving around at that point you know you would remove the animal um i usually say do it for increments of 15 to 20 minutes and then take a look. Sometimes I'll go 30 or 40 minutes, depending on the the animal, depending on how bad the stuck shed is, if need be. Um, However, I will say this. I very, very rarely ever do it with venomous uh, simply because it involves you containing the animal, which is typically an unnecessary task. And at the same time, now you're removing it from the room, bringing it to the bathroom, putting it in the bathtub or the shower or whatever. You run the risk of a possible accident or an escape. So for those who wanna do the same scenario with Venomous, I usually recommend to get a much, much larger basin, whether it be a Christmas tree box or a bigger sweater box. It doesn't even have to have a lid because essentially you're not opening, you don't need to seal it in. You're gonna take that rain chamber, put the animal in it, put that rain chamber into another bigger container, a basin. However, you're gonna remember now that it's sitting on the floor and it can't necessarily drain out because of the curvature of a sink or the curvature of a bathtub, you have to put something underneath it. It could be a couple rocks, could be a couple you know pieces of stone from your yard or whatever. or you could get little pieces of PVC pipe and elevate it off the bottom of the tub. And now I'm just going to get a pitcher of water and I'm going to slowly pour pitchers of water over the top so it still rains. but now I'm doing all of this by hand. In the venomous room so i don't have to worry about any kind of escapes or anything like that um i rarely do with venomous most venomous species are you know that i've worked with don't really have that that stuck shed i've had it with some pythons i've had it with some some chondras i've had in the past um and uh some colubrids too but the venomous stuff i have is mostly arid so i don't worry about it too much Um, but yeah having a rain chamber at your disposal as simple as it is you know it's it's a, a, a a tub that we normally would have just for caging. And you're just using it in the shower.
1: Some Not people even to go take as far the as you use like Mist Kings, like the hook of a Mist King. They have a like a, a tub dedicated with a hole cut out for you to just like the nozzle for the Mist King is attached already inside. And they just right, turn it right. on and, and leave it. And to me, it seems kind of like overkill. Um a lot of guys use them for Picondros yeah. and Nimble Tribos, especially when they, they notice like um you know they're really backed up and they need to go to the bathroom. Usually, rain chambers are a good way to kind of convince them, like trick them into thinking that it's it's raining and it's okay to go. Um, right. I found that most of the time when I notice mine need to go, if I just miss them heavy for you know a solid minute or two, um, maybe not quite to the point to where there's standing water in the bottom of the tub, uh, that usually overnight or within you know 24, 48 hours they usually go within that time frame. and that's just i take my hand sprayer and i just lock it and just hold it over them and that's that's been enough for me i know some people they they really struggle and they they find that rain chambers are kind of necessary and that's the only way that they can get anything to happen with their animal but bad sheds and and that kind of thing i just missed them and i mean i got some conjures right now that had some bad sheds and that's just i missed them every night let them dry out and Eventually, over the course of, you know, a week or two, all that shed comes off because, you know, the Condors cruise at night and uh, they seem to do a pretty good job of getting most of it off. So,
0: yeah, I, I just can't emphasize enough that if you are going to do Venomous in the room in another container, you have to have it elevated because we don't always notice it. But your bathtub has, or your shower has curvature to it. It has a deep side, a shallow side, what have you. And that's to help the water go down the drain. When we put the, the 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 rain chamber in there, it's it's never level. It's always got a little wobble to it, and that's okay because we want the water to drain out the bottom. Um, I don't like me personally. I don't like it when people take an animal, um, and I see this a lot with venomous because it's it's just easier. They'll have a rack system. One of the, the drawers will be water, just an inch or two of water, and they quote unquote soak the animal. Um, they'll put the snake in the drawer, they'll close the drawer, they'll clean the cage. It's been soaking for eight to 10 minutes, whatever. They remove the animal. I've found that the animal may not act dehydrated, but it may be, or it may just be thirsty at the time. And now Mm -hmm. because it's in the water, it has the opportunity in its mind to defecate, right? So it's going to poop in the water, but then at the same time it's thirsty. So now it's drinking its own poop water. And I've noticed this a lot, especially with venomous. Um, So I don't like standing water of any kind because remember, it's not the same as a water bowl in its enclosure. They poop in the water bowl in the enclosures, the cobras poop, colubrids poop, they poop in the water. That's what they do. But now they can't get away from that water. They're just in it and they're sitting in it. And even though it doesn't really have enough time to fester per se, they're more likely to consume that soiled water than they would in the bowl in the enclosure, at least in my observation.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't like to let if if there does end up being standing water in the bottom of the tub after I, I chamber them, uh, I'll usually like the next morning I'll empty it out. I don't like to let it sit in there any longer than it than it absolutely has to, you know. But I usually don't don't mist them so heavily that there is standing water in the bottom. It's just a very soaked paper towel.
0: Uh, yeah. See, I don't so. even use something. Yeah, just keep it flat plastic with, you know, the perch or whatever. And I've actually had condros where I didn't think the shed was that bad. I just thought they, was, they looked a little dry, you know, a little ashy. I'm like, yeah, you know what, I'll throw them in the rain chamber for a little while. Put the condro in there, go get something to drink, maybe play with my dog for five to ten minutes, come back, and it completely shed. Just perfect. So sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes it takes a couple days.
1: It can be hard to tell, especially with if you're dealing with, like, yellow neonates. It's kind of hard to to see that milkiness when it's time for them to shed. Oh, you know, yeah. With reds, it's, with reds, it's pretty obvious, but with yellows, it can be it can be tough. You have to kind of really really look at them kind of closely to to see the milkiness. And it's usually you can tell on the eyes. But conjures also get uh pretty hardcore shed head. So they like before they go into a shed, they you know they kind of swell up uh, and they look almost sick. Like they're they look like they got an RI or yeah. something because their head gets so yeah. puffy. Uh, so it's usually pretty obvious, you know, in that sense, but sometimes it can be hard to tell, you you know?
0: Yeah. I have a, one of my black purple maculatas, uh, has a really bad stuck shed. I don't know why. And, uh, she managed to peel the top of the head off and then the lower jaw off. So now she has like this flap little hoodie top and like a little hoodie. Right. Um, And she's eating and pooping, but it's been about 10 days now and she hasn't, I I increased the humidity dramatically. I soaked that cage down. She still hasn't shed it off. So I'm probably going to put her in the chamber with no perch and maybe Mm -hmm. put like a piece of cork bark in there. So she's obviously going to freak out. She's going to be like, I don't want to get rained on. Oh my God. And from doing that, hopefully she'll be rubbing on that cork bark and get some of that off or at least get Mm -hmm. it started, you know?
1: I've had that happen with green trees a lot where like I'll walk in before I go to bed when it's dark and turn on the light and one will be same thing. Just, just started shedding and got the head part done and conjures are stupid in the fact that like the lights come on they're like, Oh, it's time to go to sleep. And so they, you see them go back and perch on their, you know, on their perch and and they do the, the, you know, the, the coil and, uh, Then you go in the next morning and they never started again. It's like they completely forgot that they were even shedding. Yeah. And so they just go back to perching and then they like have like an entire stuck shed. And it's I have some snakes like condos specifically where if I see them shedding and I walk in the room and it's dark, I immediately cut off the lights and leave because I know as soon as they start going back into that, I'm going to sleep now, it's daytime thing. I'm gonna have to end up peeling off that entire shed myself. Yeah. And I know Dom's dealt with the same thing with, with one or two of hers. Uh, Scott said put them in a mesh bag in the water.
0: Yeah, I can't tell if you're work.
1: being sarcastic or not, because I feel like that's a good way to drown them. Like waterboarding yeah.
0: them. <laughs> right.
1: But yeah, I've been lucky
0: that I haven't. What's that?
1: I was gonna ask if you have issues with, like your arboreal stuff specifically, like that the tail tips not coming off all the way, like it breaks, you know, with an Um, inch left on the tail. It depends on this.
0: It depends on the species. Um, I've seen it more with, honestly, with rattlesnakes that are dehydrated where they shed and the shed is for lack of a better word it's it's a good shed it's not perfect but it's good it's all one piece we'll call it that but like a dog cone like you know so the dog doesn't bite itself they'll get that dog cone at the base of the rattle because it it didn't have enough hydration to to rip off and clear the rattle so they'll have this flap there and what happens is they went up getting irritated and they went up rubbing on it more and the rattle will break off or you go in there with hemostats and try and peel it off and you break the rattle too. Mm-hmm. So I've had that happen. Um, well, I've been pretty good with my arboreal stuff. I've had, I, I don't know if it's because of the way I have them set up where there's really not a lot of rough te- textures in there. Cause I have like, I have Brahms perches in there and stuff. There's not a lot of rough textures where they have more issues with the face than the t- tail. And I've also noticed with my, a lot of my arboreal stuff, whether it be the squams or um, uh, even uh, carpets, they're intertwining in the arboreal stuff. And they, I'll find it where I'll have like, you know, they roll in a big ball, right? Yeah. The, I'll see the ball of shed skin and then it'll be a really taut piece, super taut, like a guitar string. And then the tail tip will just be folded over one little branch. And I think that's kind of the key to me not having that issue is because they're 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 finding a way to to yoink it off, if
1: that makes sense. So Jeff sent me a a picture from one of the local websites, and uh, it's a picture of like an Eastern Diamondback on one of the beaches on Hilton Head. Oh yeah, did you? And it's, it cracks me up because every time I see these, like the comment sections are always. Amusing but also frustrating because people are like, oh my god, kill it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always poopy. It's just people are goofy, man. Yeah. But I find that you know, I especially with Amazon Tribos and the Cyania. Um anytime they shed it was always check the last bit of the tail because it seems like it's it's really not uncommon for a little bit to be left there. And I remember one of the tribos that me and Jake uh, had had it had like a ring, like it, it had it pretty bad. And uh, I ended up taking like a razor blade and very you know, I tubed it with my magic cheap tubes and very gently. Cut that that ring, and it just you know as soon as it popped off, you saw like the pressure, like the blood go back to that that section of the tail, and you know, yeah. especially when you're dealing with like baby cyania, man, they're so small. You know, when you get that little bit of tail tip stuck. You really want to make sure you you get that off because I, I don't. It's not uncommon yeah. either to see boy go with sort of not sharp tail tips, but kind of stumpy ones. Not like sure. stumpy as in like sure. I got cut off, but you can tell. It clearly Drowned lost, it. you know, that last, last little tiny bit just got necrotic and yeah, fell off. that spine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that, the little spur spine at the tip is, is gone. It's kind of blunted and rounded off. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's no different than with lizards that get stuck shit on their toes. You know, we put the lizard in two centimeters of water, let it run around for 20, 30 minutes. At least it's going to hopefully break up and kind of loosen itself off and then when you put the lizard back in the enclosure it's running on the substrate it's it's going to flake off eventually right you're less likely to lose digits that way um i find the same thing with the snakes is you know just let them soak for a couple seconds a couple minutes excuse me and uh but with no perch they're forced to swim essentially or or slosh around the bottom of the the moisture tub And that'll help loosen a little bit. I also am a very firm believer in a a well-hydrated specimen has no reason to not have a perfect shed because if the specimen is well-hydrated, it's going to produce the oils under the skin that are going to help it slew that that shed, right? Um, And I've noticed, too, with a lot of the, the, like, Dramarcon, if their shed comes off patchy, they're dehydrated and, and whether it's a temperature thing or they pooped in their water bowl too many times that month. And I wasn't as attentive and they went, you know, a day or two without drinking because the water was soiled and I didn't notice or what have you. Um, but that, that, that's a big deal is if the animal's not hydrated, it's going to have a shoddy shed. So
1: I think it's, you know, I was for a while, I was kind of of the opinion that it, you know, it was mostly a hydration thing and a little bit of a humidity thing, but over time, I think it's, it's kind of 50, 50, like hydration is definitely a big part of it, but I'll, you know, there's a very, very large difference between hydration and humidity, obviously. You right. Know. Right. Just because there's a lot of water in the air doesn't mean you're going to have great sheds. You know, there, there's yeah. kind of a, they have to meet in the middle in a sense, um, cause I, it definitely does help. I mean, the higher humidity, like with the condors, I have stuck sheds. Like I said, if I missed them, I notice over the next few days when I missed them regularly that, that more and more comes off over, you know, it just takes, takes a few days. Um, but obviously if it's a, you know, keeping them hydrated, definitely curbs that issue to a much greater extent. So like I said, I think it's, it's pretty evenly split between the two. <laughs> uh, Hey, there's Dan Colgan. Look at that. So pay yeah. attention to both. I think uh, frequent water changes, oversized water bowls, uh, make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I also think that uh, it can't hurt to oversaturate towards the end of a blue cycle, um, because it, it's almost it's it's basically what you were saying. How it's 50-50. Excuse me. The I feel like the animal could be hydrated, but if the Atmospheric is dry. The day it's going to shed, yeah, it's going to make it that much more difficult. You know, Mm -hmm. so I would I would almost rather not just increase the humidity for the entire slew. I would increase me personally. I would increase humidity right when it's started to shed or the day before you think it's going to shed, and just give that little extra oomph. You know,
1: yeah, I've I've noticed that that is kind of the sweet sweet spot Um, because I have had a few where you know, they, they turned blue, they were going into a cycle and I missed it. and then towards the end, you know, maybe I, I forgot just before, you know, the day of or whatever. And I had not great sheds, but then I've had some where they went, you know, they went into a shed cycle and I noticed that they were looking a little duller than normal. I had noticed that they were blue maybe a couple of days prior. Um, and so it was that last day or two that I, I definitely upped humidity and, and missed it more regularly. Um, and I'm speaking in the context of chondros, but, um, I noticed that it did seem to help a lot more compared to other times where maybe I'd missed that last day and didn't didn't spray them down. And so I agree with with that, you know, that up in that humidity, that last day or two before it happens is definitely going to make life easier on them.
0: Yeah. And now let me ask you this. How, have you ever had snakes where it shed without going blue? No. I have had.
1: I mean, prelate some... sheds maybe. Like I've had some, like the, okay. the cyania female. She shed. She had that first clutch, and then it was that month later. I noticed she shed again, and I was like, "Well, that's weird." Uh, then I noticed she was she was clearly gravid again. But I also don't, you know, I don't see them much during the day, so you know, it's a good chance I didn't see it, anyways. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've had uh, I've had Dromarcon and nausea species that just look totally normal and then a couple of days later they were shed never went blue never got cloudy eyes I don't know if it was individual animal specific or if it's indicative of those specific species I don't know
1: so I mean the, the simple solution is just keep species that you don't have to worry about that like bears
0: yeah <laughs> well I'll tell you so like the baby ranks um, dude I, I so I feed the I feed the uh, the snake and then a couple days later, I'm like, oh, he looks a little ashy. He looks a little cloudy. He's going to his shed. A couple days later, it comes to that next feeding. I'm like, I'll, I'll offer him a prey item. If he takes it, he takes it. I offer it to him. He don't want it. Okay. A couple days later, still hasn't shed. Now we've cleared you know, 12 or 14 days. Still hasn't shed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll try to feed him again. I go to feed him. He eats. Now, he still hasn't shed. And it's, I don't know what, I don't know what his deal is. So I didn't look at him last night. I got to look at him tonight.
1: With that first clutch of green trees, I had one neonate in particular that did not shed for the first like two or three weeks. All the other ones within the first week they had shed kind of like, you know, by the book. Uh, Yeah. But I had one that just did not. And I don't know, remember if it was the runtier one of the group or not, but I thought it was odd because, you know, they had all shed and like, there was this one that just hadn't yet. And then like two weeks passed and I was like, what the hell? And then finally on like the third or fourth, it did. And I just it was odd. I don't there's no reason I wasn't keeping it any different than any of the other ones. It was on the same feeding schedule, it was on everything, you know. Yeah. It's just it's odd. <clears throat>
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I hope the little guy sheds soon because it, this is gonna be, I think, his third shed or fourth shed ever. And the colors really starting to come in. So I'm really eager to get pictures of him when he's fresh you know, I don't want him to that classic thing of, Oh, I just shed and I look really pretty. Let me just slither through some mud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping I can get a picture before he messes himself up too much. Uh, and then that's how,
1: that's, theme- that's how it is for me with the bairds when they're, when they're getting ready to shed when they're babies, because every shed yeah. they get more and more color and you're just itching to see like, you yep. know, you see it starting. I see it with some of those baby Mexicans that I got at Daytona. Like they're slowly mm-hmm. starting to color up some and every shed it's like, Oh, they're getting closer and closer.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's that that's awesome. And then you have them on Aspen, yep, or or Carefresh, Aspen. Okay, do you? Because I noticed like my my Mexican black kings, dude, they shed and they are so glossy, oil slick black. And then I'll come back, I'll, I'll check them on in the morning. Like, oh, I forgot to top off their water bowl, so I'll go in there in the morning, and the thing is all dusty looking, and it's got to be from the brand of Aspen I bought because they don't normally look that bad. And I'm wondering if maybe <laughs> they still had some of that oil on their skin or on their mm-hmm. scales and the Aspen stuck to it. I don't, I don't know.
1: This I is my first time keeping it. them. So yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you felt like a fresh shed, like a snake that literally just shed yeah. that, that, that skin is kind of like sticky or I guess wet, you know? So yeah. I can, I can see that Moistened. happening. I don't know. Yeah. I've kind of gone back to Aspen, you know, I like carefresh. Um, I don't know. Aspen's just a little cheaper and it does the same job. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and then it doesn't uh, mold as much heat. Like I found that <clears throat> sometimes if that Carefresh gets wet and stays wet for an extended period of time, it starts to kind of turn black.
0: So, mm, yeah. That's no bueno. No bueno. Yeah. But... So, what did Matt put?
1: He said, what do you guys think about the future of African house snakes? Or what do you guys yeah. think of, of African house snakes is? I think they are on a I think they're more popular now than they've ever been. I think I would agree. they're they're continuing on an upward trend. Um Yes. I've always wanted some. I've heard that they're they're like little pythons almost. They're not even like they're a colubrid, but they're they almost seem more python like in their, their habits than yeah other stuff. I mean, they're just, they're pretty snakes. I really, they're really cool. You know,
0: I'm, I'm pleased because the people that are keeping them are genuinely passionate about it. It's not just another snake to keep. Like they really enjoy them. And there's several different species and phenotypes, which I think is awesome. But from my observations in the past, there was a lot of morph stuff floating around. And I feel like the, the, As the vivarium evolution comes up, more and more people are looking for locality-specific stuff. They're looking for a particular type of phenotype. And that makes me happy because people are going to be less apt to just cross stuff and mix it up. And you know what I mean? It's going to be more more specific, which is kind of my MO, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, And then you also had, in the past 10 years or so, you had a lot of imports come in and I feel like a lot of imports did not do well. Um, but the ones that did are blossoming into fantastic breeder stock. So a lot of the black stuff, a lot of the Kipensis, um, some of the, like, I think it's T negative capensis that are just, I- I'm not an albino guy, but those snakes look so cool. I can't remember which one Billy has. Billy's got a couple of them. Um, I think he has T negative. Um, But, dude, like, I think the ones that are here now, the ones that people are working with, they're being worked with by people who are genuinely passionate about the genus. And it's really, I want to say it's going to be the next Hognose. I don't think it will. But to the people that do keep it, it'll be better than Hognose.
1: Yeah, they're definitely, I've, I've seen more people working with them within the last probably two years than I've ever seen. And so I, I mean, to me, I, I'm kind of surprised they didn't get more popular earlier on just because they're not difficult to keep. They're not big. Like in terms of, you know, other rat snakes and stuff, uh, you know, old world rats and old world colubrids. They don't, you know, they don't get very big. Um, maybe it's because they don't have the, you know, the neon colors of some of the other stuff. You know, they're not going to be like some of the corn morphs that are, crazy oranges and yellows and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I've seen some that were just absolutely incredible, you know? I mean, yeah, it's a Brown snake or a black snake, but I've seen some with like these gold eyes. There's one, there's one page on Facebook. See if I can find it.
0: Yeah, I've had, uh, I've had blacks, I've had browns, I've had capes, um, I think the problem with their initial response in the U.S. is that they fit the same niche in terms of a pet as the corn. So a lot of people are apprehensive to do a earth tone import African species opposed to the corn snake, which is damn near domesticated at this point and naturally occurring to the us i think that that makes a, 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 a thought in my mind that they they the niche that they would be filling was already filled so oh yeah look at that thing
1: yeah so this that's is awesome
0: that's a yeah
1: it,
0: it's a patternless patternless
1: uh, I think these people are in, are in Europe. I want to say France, and they've got some awesome stuff. So they've got Gagnos. They've got some really killer corns. Yeah. Subox. Wow. Look I mean, at there's. That guy. I mean, look at those. Yeah. I mean, these like. Ah, oh, look at they, that red. Their big focus is is house snakes and. Yeah. Ooh. That's cool. What is that? Oh, wow. Look at that garter. That's a, that's a cage, Phil. No, no, I meant before that. Oh, that's a corn. That's corn? Super cool. Mm-hmm. Miami phase morph of some sort. Doesn't look like a tester. They said it's pinstripe, but I don't know if that's a thing or not. Let me see them. I'm I do fight. like... Yeah, it. see, I mean, look at that. Possible head albinos, blue-eyed.
0: Yeah, I do like how how Matt was the one to ask that, too. Because that's right in his wheelhouse.
1: Dude, the more I see egg eaters, the more tempted I get, too. Those look like so much fun. See, I mean, that's like, that's um, an adult. Like, that's not a big snake. That's. No. That's an average. That's corn a great snake, size animal. If that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a horrible uh, uh, video of a rhombic egg eater on one of the South African pages and the person that posted it clearly was clearly had good intentions because they thought that they were pinning the snake to the ground so that they could get a video of it to be ID before they released it. And they wound up just breaking its back with a rake. And, uh, and, and I, I understand where people would be upset by that. But if you, if you really sit back and look at it, the person that posted it generally thought they were trying to help the animal, but at the same time were cautious because they didn't know what species it was. They didn't want to get envenomated. So like, mm-hmm. I, I don't really knock the person for doing it, but now oh, they have the opportunity to be educated by people and say, hey, look, you, you broke that mm-hmm. things back on accident. Oh, yeah, look at that.
1: Oh, look velvety that stripe, black. Man, that stripe, though. Yeah,
0: that's a good-looking animal. Um, the problem is, is that the, – the oh, look at those, dude. Same animals? No.
1: Ah,
0: oh, velvety. That's capensis too, right?
1: Yeah, I believe so.
0: So, but again, going back to that post, is the people <clears> on Facebook, <throat> there were people that said, "Hey, you know, you broke that snake's back. You got to be careful. Don't do this. Do that instead." And then there were other people who were like, "Why'd you even post it? You already killed it. You already broke its back. It's, it's not like, threatening well, anymore."
1: That's not the
0: point. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is, is educating so that this doesn't happen again. You know, this, so they can say, "Oh, it's an egg eater," and they can, you know, release in their garden or whatever, and, and go from there. But yeah,
1: they're just cool looking, man. They, like egg eaters just look like fun, and the fact that they they do the saw scaling thing and yeah. Yeah, it's... Whoa, what is that? Hold on a second. Timeout.
0: So, somebody say Ekkus?
1: No, I don't even know what that is. I don't know if this is a morph or what.
0: I was just playing with my Luca Gaster yesterday.
1: What is that? I don't know. I mean, it's... It looks like a house, uh, a house snake. Interesting. Looks like one of those bromeliad bows,
0: right? <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, send me the link to these people. Oh, that's it oh, right there.
1: I mean, that's just...
0: that is what I would have.
1: killer they're just they're awesome
0: they're awesome africa miguel
1: why why wouldn't you keep them i'm curious yeah brennan says they also lay multiple times per year super easy to breed and simple to care for and that's why i was like i'm kind of like i think that's the only thing that hasn't uh like the reason they haven't really taken off is because they just they don't have the the crazy color morphs and and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and and what he was saying is they do like triple and quadruple clutches, right?
1: I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they double clutched easily, but yeah, they're just cool snakes. And the Ridley eye are cool too. Yeah, man, totally. I separated the <clears throat> and eye tonight and fed them. Cool. It's it's funny how how pissy they get, man. It takes nothing to get imagine. those things riled up. It's they really are grouchy, grouchy little bastards. <laughs> Miguel said he'd rather have a corn snake. I can't blame him there because corns are awesome.
0: Yeah, corns are awesome. But dude, that that velvety brown, oof, with the lines, it's awesome. And those eyes, they have that you know, viperade looking pupils, it's gorgeous eyes.
1: Oh, I gotta, I gotta show off this, this condo from, from Brahms, man. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow.
0: You sent me, you sent us that earlier, right?
1: Yeah. Like yeah. that blue is that just is awesome. seeping in more and more just from the top, from the spine and seeping down, like dripping down. It's just...
0: If that snake had a diamond head, you know what it would look like.
1: A Botryacus?
0: Yo. Look at that, man.
1: And you know, when you see it, like, if you looked at it in the room, just in the normal lighting, you don't get a lot of, like, a lot of this blue and stuff, you don't really see. Like, you see it when it's concentrated around those, you know, the rosettes and stuff, but... Mm -hmm. like natural light man that's you want to do conjures justice take them outside like today was nice it was like 60 and uh anytime it's nice out i like to take some updated pictures of them but i'm really hoping that uh that one takes after see if i can find the parents i'll show y'all from mako and mr jones I think this is her. Yeah. So that's the dam. And so I'm hoping that, I mean, you can see sort of the reminiscent pattern on her that, uh,
0: and you can also tell the your white balance on that is a little wonky, right? On mine. On that. Was that your, Oh, is that Brahms picture or your picture?
1: Yeah, that's Brahms picture.
0: Oh, okay. I was going to say, I feel like the white balance on that's a little odd. I feel like that snake is bluer in reality.
1: He has other pictures of him. I'm trying to find it,
0: dude. Did those Cambro hey, tubs, man.
1: This is the biak I produced that Brahms has.
0: Nice. Isn't that awesome? That's just such a great feeling when you see stuff that you produced in other people's stuff like that. That's just such a great feeling.
1: I mean, to me, they're even more important now that that female has gone. You know, like that's the last bit of
0: yeah
1: heritage and and lineage yeah yeah it's not that they weren't important before but you know how it is you know it's yeah of course of course I believe this was the sire I believe that's mr. Jones nice and then this is this is Mako that's the dam again
0: oh, great color uh,
1: yeah I, I wish I could find the there's a picture of them together, like not locked but side by side. <laughs> I believe that's the sire again. See, that's a I don't textbook know. animal. Yeah, man, those man of quarries. that's just that's become probably my favorite locality. Just because you a get those you know, those blues and yeah, he used to do like these, uh, like lithograph things. I forget the actual name of them, but bronze is the man dude.
0: He really is. I gotta, I keep telling him I'm going to take pictures of the perches, And I just, I've been so busy with work, man. And like, I, I gotta do it. Especially. I got those new ones. I put with the carpets. Oh, Dude, those, mm-hmm. those IJs sit on his perches and just sprawl out, just chilling on top. It's perfect. Designed, flawless. Craftsmanship is flawless. I love it. I'm going to hose him off and not worry. Hmm. Hey, Andy's here.
1: Yep, his stuff's awesome.
0: Somebody said Kondro and Andy showed up.
1: Yeah, look at that.
0: So, real quick <laughs> before it, uh, before we it unknowingly so change, so, yeah, right. Dude, look in the mirror and say his name. You see him in the mirror. <laughs> the um, so I I've tried to be Justin and do the the Google Drive thing for the ring calls.
1: How's that? And now
0: uh, it's going. I basically, I just started with Johan's pictures. Um, and how do I get to Google Drive? Draw- oh, here it is. Okay.
1: God, you're old.
0: Yeah, I know. All right. I know.
1: <laughs> What's the internet? I mean,
0: Screen share. I hate you so much. Application window. So I broke it down. Um, and I just, I want your opinion. I want other people's opinions. And if anybody's watching this and whether you're in the United States or you're in Africa and you have pictures of rinkals in the wild and you know their locality, or you have an idea of what state or province or territory they come from, feel free to send them to me. I'm going to save don't them. hold I'll, out on I'll, our boy. You know, Yeah. Don't hold out on me. Um, this is like a, psycho project, but I broke down the countries in which they are found. Um, I do not have anything for Zimbabwe, Lesotho, or Swaziland yet. I'm sure people will provide me.
1: but I also broke
0: down Republic of South Africa. Oh okay yeah. Um, and then I have the different states of South Africa. Um, I don't have anything Whatever. in Lepopo. I don't have anything in Western Cape or Northwest yet. But I basically went in and I used Johann's pictures first simply because he's really, really good about putting where the photo was taken. Um, so like if we go to the Eastern Cape. And then I have all these here. And like I'm just just general observations of the patterning and the scalation and like noticing which animals have three bands or two bands on the neck. You know some of these like this one here is almost a quasi-lumnatal looking animal and i imagine it's just you know luck of the draw that it got that that lack of a band and more orange on the hood yeah um so but if we go to actual quasi-lumnatal animals you can see like this one here that's crazy that's definitive bands. This Mm one's definitive banding, you know, but then if you go back to that Eastern Cape, it's more of a modeled, like, even though it still has bands, it's almost kind of broken a little bit more.
1: Not as, yeah, not as distinct, not as clean.
0: And as much as I love the high orange, the high yellow, like some of these blacks and grays that come out of like Johannesburg, or Pretoria, Mm -hmm. like that animal is just killer looking. Right it has that same velvety look to it as that tuxedo wearing a tuxedo uh, tuxedo, right it has that same velvety look as the uh as the house snake we were just looking at but the difference being is that this thing's freaking keeled Mm -hmm. so but yeah i want to get your opinion on if i'm doing this (laughs) the right way so to speak
1: (laughs) i mean you can I don't think there really is a right way. It's just whatever you find is easiest. And I mean, that's kind of the nice thing is you can get as specific as, as you want, given the information you have is, you know, accurate. Look at baby Phil.
0: Uh-huh. we we'll go right go back. Go back. You want to go back?
1: <clears throat> horrible hook technique. Explorer. Absolutely horrible. In, in hook technique. Obris-
0: this uh, this photo is horrible. Just, I don't, that's, I don't talk want anyone about to look it, at it.
1: Your, your venomous etiquette videos.
0: Yeah, I know. Look at that Look at that hand technique. It's horrible. Look at this. So my wrist is inverted.
1: Pink Floyd short and, shirt right? and your jorts.
0: My jorts. So just for people who are curious as to why I hate this photo, um, <laughs> the animal in this photo is actually striking back at me. And it's actually not on the hook. I'm adjusting the hook to basically catch it because it's coming around back at me. But notice how my palm is inverted and my index finger is extended. That is a horrible, horrible bad habit that people develop unknowingly. It's like a subconscious thing. The rotating of the wrist um, is very bad because it limits your dexterity in terms of the hook placement in being perpendicular to your body. And then people extend their index finger because they feel like it's some kind of brace. It's almost like I said, a subconscious thing, but what it's doing is it's, it's locking some of the tendons and muscles in your hand. And again, you lose the dexterity and being able to abort out of the hook or roll the hook or what have you. Yeah. So horrible, horrible hook technique, but I put the picture in there because yeah. I think that's the only.
1: You should Was use. That... It's like you should, you should talk about that in a, like in one of the videos and show. You know, that even you at one point did things that you don't yeah. do now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I was about a boy snake. that snake was a beardless when I was but a boy.
0: Yeah, beardless skinny boy. Yeah. But this picture, I really think that this is probably my favorite Wrinkles picture that I have found so far. Uh this is uh Tyrone Peng, he's in South Africa. So I don't know what time of year this he was taken, really, obviously. He, doesn't he doesn't was happen. what? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I don't know exactly awesome what time of ours. year this was. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: I'm going to go ahead um, and say winter.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I, just, I didn't know if this was a higher <laughs> elevation or if this was actually winter, but this picture was taken about an hour and 40 minutes northwest of Durban. And I, I, I've never seen a snake with that dark of coloration. And I imagine that that has got to be a photo thing with, with soaking up sun. It's got to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, do they, do you, like, do look, they change I've, color? Like how some of the boas do I've, where they will get lighter at night and darker in the day? <clears throat>
0: Excuse me. I've never noticed it with any of the animals that I've kept. Um, they obviously fire up and fire down like, much like most other animals, but not that dark, like not that dynamic. But mm-hmm. then again, I've never seen that animal in summer. So that animal could look like that all year round. I would never know. It could just be a good looking animal. I don't know. But I've, I've never seen one basking in snow before. I thought that picture's is awesome. And like the mountainscape in the background. I didn't snow even know hills. it snowed
1: there at all. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... And then there is a baby picture. Oh, here it is. This is from Johan. How frigging cute <laughs> are these little look? At these little nuggets.
1: This is in the wrong side of town, buddy. Right. They're so take you clearly, steal
0: your wallet. From my observation, we I don't know where this picture was taken. I, I haven't messaged Johan about it, but I would say that this is probably like Southern Johannesburg or or like northeastern Free State, just by the coloration, but. Look at the breasts of each one.
1: That's so, what I was about to say. It cracks me up. That yeah, you know the, the middle one is only has the one band, and the other two are like fully decked out.
0: Well, if you look at it, it's almost like this guy's missing one. Like, like this guy gets this one here. Like he he took his bow tie off. and he This guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just, but I thought this picture was adorable. You know, I uh, once I have all of. Johan's pictures, I'm basically gonna email him and be like, hey, I stole all your photos. Tell me where they're from. <laughs> and like this one here, like, I have no idea where this animal is taken, but like the pupil is almost unrecognizable. Yeah. It's it's a great photo. And you can see that shovel nose with the dirt on his face. Clearly, it was burrowing a little bit. But
1: tell me, Phyllis, what is what is your Draw to rinks. What is it about um, them that really rustles your jimmies? Um,
0: everything about the species. Um, and to be honest, I have Ryan Cox to thank for this. African, so, it? what's that?
1: So, it's because they're African.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's because they're African. No, um i love i have an affinity for african species obviously but i worked with a lot of them back in the day and they're just awesome animals because they're so unique you know it's monotypic it's keeled it gives live bearing it it has a hood but it's not a cobra Uh, it spits its venom but it spits its venom unlike any other snake that spits its venom uh the maxillary has no standard teeth Essentially, the only teeth on top of the jaw are actually just the fangs. Excuse me. It has giant, giant eyes. Really. You know, indicative, indicative of a a, a diurnal colubrid, and yet it's not at all. And and ancient ancestry. You know, arguably the grandfather, one of the grandfathers of cobras. So, like, just all about it is just fascinating, and it never clicked in my head. And then. I fell in love with those KNZ ones, the bandit ones like I have now, and I always wanted them. They were astronomically expensive. They had to be imported from Europe, and I was like, oh, I'll never get that, and then they started floating around, like Nathan Jordan had the photos of his and stuff like that, and they fell into my lap, but I'll never forget when Ryan Cox said in our group chat that they're one of his favorite species, and I was like, man, they're pretty amazing. Like on a multitude of levels, they're pretty friggin' amazing. And it's my it's my recent obsession. I still love other snakes. I still love knobtails. Fair enough. But now I, I have to learn everything I can about them. It's like you with the beards, man. You know, you're a conjurer guy. But those bearded rats, they just they just did it for you, you know. And they it took you do. what 15, 20 years, you know.
1: I mean I I had an interest in them as a kid. I only had and I somehow ended up with one. Ooh, how long ago was that? That would have been I wanna say I might have been in high school and I, I stumbled across one on Craigslist or something, I think. And I don't know. I like I remember very vividly reading the article in one of the reptiles issues uh, from like the mid aughts. And I just remember it sticking out. Like I remember seeing uh posts about them like especially the the these super metallic ones like the loma altas and that just always stuck with me and it was just a species that i always just found interesting and every time i saw them, i was like why why aren't how come these aren't popular like they're they're freaking gorgeous and i don't know who i was talking to about it the other day it was eric burke actually uh, <clears throat> you know we were talking about him and i said you know it's just one of those things where like you see pictures of them and they're usually kind of from a distance so it's hard to sort of see the detail that really makes those things pop. You know, you see pictures and you're like, yeah, that's cool. But when you get close and you see them at like the scales that look like they're they're made of metal, you know, with yeah. the orange in between and the like that's when it makes sense. That's when you're like, oh, okay, now now yeah. I get it. You know? Yeah. See,
0: I made the mistake that uh the picture of young skinny beardless Phil with bad technique. Um that picture I regret it, I think is the only picture I have of that specimen. And that specimen was at Underground's retail store. That's from when I was getting hours back in the day. And uh, uh, I we had that snake for like five or six years. And he just chilled. You know, In the beginning he was he was a little, as you can see in the picture, uneasy. But that snake just got to be a chill snake and live a nice life. And I was like, man, I should take this thing home. I should see this home. And the old manager at the time who mentored me in a lot of stuff, he was like, dude, no one's buying that thing. It's it's gray. It's not one of the quote-unquote pretty ones. Don't worry. Don't spend your money on it. Just, it's going to be here. Just play with it here. And then like three weeks later, they sold it. And I was like, oh. So one of those cases of, you know, if you've got the means to do it, do it when you can, you know. So.
1: Well, one of the other things, I had over-under planned, but I also didn't have anything written as far as over-under, so we'll have to kick that to the 68th episode. Um, but like Emergencies and Venomous, someone brought up a point. Uh, like, what do you do when hurricane season rolls around and you got to pack everything up? So hey, I, what do, you, what do you do?
0: All right, so first things first, in Florida, when you have Venomous or you have Conditional Species, uh, you have to give the state the GPS coordinates of facility and they basically tell them you, you would know if you're in a flood zone. You would know um, some people are not hip to it and they don't know. But you should like know if you're
1: in a-, of the state in a flood zone.
0: Well, not necessarily, because it depends on on a quote unquote flood or like storm surge and stuff like that. Um, where I'm at, I am not in a flood zone because we have an amazing canal system that mitigates water levels appropriately with a series of locks. Um, However, uh, I have a standard procedure for a hurricane. Um, If it is an actual hurricane, like category one or greater, um, my animals get individually bagged, labeled, um, and then they are put into locking wooden crates that are marked danger, venomous reptiles. Uh, They're also put in the crates where if god forbid they bite each other through the bag the species are not going to in theory affect each other so like i put all the african nausea in one crate um i put the african vipers in another crate i put the asian vipers in another crate so i've got like four or five of these crates for what i have right now Um, and they're not big they're maybe two foot by one foot by one foot you know they're smaller crates um you could pack a bunch of snake bags in there and sometimes uh if you have a big enough container, if you're using a Rubbermaid tub or something, you can always put a snake in a bag, then put that bag into a Tupperware container with air holes. That way, that the bags are not actually touching. There is a mm-hmm. gap between them, but the snake's still contained. Um, and then those containers, obviously, they're locked. Those get placed in an inner room of the home that has no windows, and they're elevated off the floor so that, God forbid, the roof leaks or the toilet overflows or overflows and floods... They're not literally sitting on the floor where they could drown because they can't escape it. Um, So they're containered, they're bagged, containered, and crated, locked, put in an inner room in the house, and then that door is then locked. Um, That way, God forbid, again something happens, emergency personnel go in. I have a, a sign that goes in the door because that that inner room is not normally the venomous room. I have another sign that goes in that says "Danger: Venomous Reptiles Inside." And that's my procedure. Um, because of my work, I'm usually not home for hurricanes. I usually have to go to work. Um, and I basically you know, camp out there and see how the storm plays out. Um, I've been through a lot of hurricanes with Venomous and I've got very, very lucky that nothing bad structurally structurally happened to the building and everything was fine. But that's, that's my personal procedure that is also uh, considered appropriate by the state of Florida.
1: That, should that that you have that plan as a etiquette video
0: um yes but i don't know how i would choreograph it um simply because i don't bag snakes unless i have to i don't like doing it it's uh mm-hmm. it's an unnecessary risk it also puts a lot of stress in the animal mm-hmm. um so that's like not my mo um i only bag stuff if i have to so i guess i could i guess i could Make an exception, but one of the one of the species that's kind of lax and doesn't really care, you know. Just, I don't know. Maybe I'll do with a cottonmouth or something.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, just like even if you just had a video showing, you know, what you have on hand, what you use, how you, I guess you you could yeah. even you wouldn't use an actual snake. You could go buy a cheap rubber one or something as an example, and yeah, you know, just mock it up, bag it, <coughs> tag it.
0: All yeah. that. yeah because there's going to be a bunch of videos on bagging procedures using different types of bags i was just talking with scott about one of the field techniques that he uses in terms of different colored bags and using uh bagging equipment in the field as well as in captivity so i'm going to do some videos on that stuff i'm gonna he doesn't know it yet but he's going to col- uh, collaborate with me on that i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> get him to be on camera whether he likes it or not um and yeah, that's what it is. Uh, I do not, I'll be honest, I do not have a fire plan. Um, it's something I've thought about over the years. I had a friend who was a venomous guy. Thank God he did not have venomous at the time. Um, but he had a house fire in his uh, uh, room where he kept the snakes. And he had a stack of five vision cages that melted down flat with the mm. animals inside. That was just a pool of liquid plastic on the floor. Jeez. Um very 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 sad i you know I, I i feel feel for him because he lost his his babies um but it's one of those things of fire is a, a, a fires a fucked up thing because sometimes you have time to contain your stuff and, and and exodus and sometimes you don't um and i haven't really put a lot of thought into that uh the buildings in florida all have firewalls so it's very very uncommon for my type of housing for the fire to jump from one house to another, but anything's possible. So it's something that I am willing to think about, especially with, we do get wildfires in Florida. We do have a ton of lightning. So it's on my, it's on my planning list, you know?
1: Yeah. It's uh, mostly hurricanes here, you know? Yeah. But, you know, Katie, Katie gives me a hard time because I have, A million tubs but when it comes time to pack everything up and go like i got plenty of stuff and keep like keeping the lids like if you buy a rack and you buy the tubs take the lids because it's so much easier to just grab that stack of lids pop them on you know maybe just take some some painter's tape or something and make sure they're they're sealed up like you know you wrap it around the lids so they can't get that in that middle spot where there might be some give and just get like a christmas tree tote or something and just load everything up and get up like yeah. a sleeve of uh, we get this could be an entire episode i feel like but like a sleeve of just deli cups for water you know pack everything up and and get gone you know in the yeah. event that you have to
0: i also i can't preface enough that or emphasis enough that you with a hurricane you have time you know what i mean this is not yeah you know yeah you 18-90. know it's, coming.
1: it's not they don't just right. show up
0: so, a lot of people will wait to the last minute to bag their snakes. That's a horrible idea because now you are subconsciously rushing, or, or you're physically rushing. You know, um, if the hurricane is due to make landfall, whatever category it may be, if the hurricane is due to make landfall on Friday, don't bag stuff up Thursday night. You may lose power early, and what you're gonna you're gonna bag cobras or rattlesnakes or carpet pythons in the dark by candlelight or with a head torch no you know i don't want to have to bag cobras with a head torch that's a horrible idea so if i know that it's going to make landfall on a friday i'll bag stuff the wednesday before because an extra two or three days in a climate controlled room in a snake bag with no water or heat isn't going to necessarily mess that snake up
1: yeah
0: you know now if i if friday comes around and the hurricane has slowed down and it's not making landfall till sunday then i have to do the daunting task of unbagging stuff letting it hydrate you know because at the same time too their enclosures aren't going anywhere their enclosures are exactly mm-hmm. the same so i may even take the extra time once they're all bagged i'll do a massive cleaning and i'll strip down those take cages because yeah Take it exactly, and that means that okay, it's it's not the hurricane got pushed back. It's not making landfall until Sunday. Okay, I have 24 hours to put them back in their enclosures, let them slither around for two or three hours, let them hydrate, let them defecate, and then I'll rebag them back up. You know, it's nature of the game. Just make sure you have your cable ties, your zip ties, your sharpie marker. You know what I mean. You have to label everything. Yeah, this is all stuff that we can talk about this for, for hours, you know, but just don't get caught with your pants down, especially with something like a hurricane where you have ample warning to, to figure it out.
1: And, Corey, you know what after. we should make is a checklist that we can put on the magazine
0: website. 100%. I even thought about making a checklist as a, just a, I don't want to call it an article, but, you know, yeah. have no. a, a disaster disaster plan tips.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that's good. That'd be easy I to like do. it. Yeah, and I mean, and, and it's crazy because there's been times when I'm like, "Oh, this is a joke, Hurricane. It's category one, break out the Bud Light," you know? And then it's like, "Oh wow, this is a category one, holy shit!" <laughs> you know? You know, I emerge from my hurricane cocoon, and there's it's a barren wasteland. It looks like an apocalypse. So.
1: Yeah, Corey said she loves that idea. Texas storms taught uh, taught me I was way underprepared. Which, I mean, I'm not gonna any, even fault anybody out there for being unprepared because yeah. no one expected, yeah. you know, expected yeah. that. So <clears throat> I think it it falls in line with that contingency plan. You know, if something happened to you, having that the that paperwork on hand to you know. Just give your family at least a guideline of who your animals should go to or what they should do with them rather than them having to guess. Uh, So having like a checklist of stuff to help people just stay organized because, I mean, there's a lot like, especially I, I can attest to the hurricane thing. When it's evacuation time, everyone loses their damn minds here, man. Stores get crazy. People get crazy. You know, you're already trying to remember your own personal stuff, let alone animals you know, so having that, like we'll have to make that happen within the next week or two, like get a checklist together, just to upload to the website and have people like there. So people can download it and print it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if anybody has anything that they should add that they want to add, like see, put on that list, let me know, like just send me a message or something. Right. Cause I'm sure we'll forget some stuff. Yeah. But
0: I, I tell people that live in peninsula, Florida, um, If they don't know about the 1928 Okeechobee hurricane, they need to Google it and look at the Wikipedia page because it was a classic example of, we didn't know any better, but now we learn from our mistakes. Um, In 1928, a horrible hurricane hit Palm Beach County, Florida. Um, and at the time, there was no levee or dike or wall around Lake Okeechobee. And for those of you who don't know, Lake Okeechobee is a massive lake smack dab in the middle of the peninsula of Florida, south of Orlando. It's basically parallel with West Palm Beach, um, right in the middle of the state. And it is the, the main water source for countless cities and counties and all kinds of – it feeds the Everglades. It feeds the Kissimmee River. It's, it's huge. It's a big um, deal. But this hurricane – it's a big deal this hurricane hit in 1928 and uh, it flooded out with storm surge um, uh, 500,000 people were homeless um, and wow. it had I'm trying to look at the numbers it was it was over 4100 people died and it was over a hundred million dollars in damage in 1928 so.
1: Yeah, that's something was, I always uh, think about when I'm out herping. Like I think about like the Native Americans and stuff that were camping out in those same woods and stuff. And like, yeah, imagine just having to sit through that crap. You imagine I mean?
0: you, you, you didn't have the news, you didn't have hurricane tracks, <laughs> you tracker, didn't have anywhere to go. Planes. Well, you you, you didn't know it was coming.
1: I know that's what you I'm know? saying. Like you you just yeah. you just had to ride it out. You know, you, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, I got a little off off topic, but, that, but the whole point of the 1928 hurricane was after that, canal systems were revised. Levees and dikes and walls were put up to contain and redirect storm surge. We learned from our mistakes. So all the people in Texas that were affected who didn't have heat packs or didn't have hand warmers they could throw in a terrarium, you know, It's not their fault. They didn't know any better. But you know what? You better believe next year they're all going to have heat packs or some kind of hand warmer or a personal oil lamp heater or something, you know? I'll start getting a list together
1: of stuff tomorrow. And then if you have anything you can add to it or anybody else has anything they can add to it, we'll we'll get something together.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've saved a lot of fish with D-cell battery-powered aerators, (laughs) you know? Because I used to keep a lot of fish, man, and, you you know, you lose power for, you know, two weeks, three weeks straight. You Mm -hmm. know, reptiles in Florida, they don't really care if
1: it's a little chilly for a couple. Right. But, But, I mean, you think about the people in Texas that had snow and stuff and they didn't have anything on hand. How many animals did they lose because of that? You know, and And once again, it's not their fault. Right. You know, it's just something you probably only see once, twice in a lifetime, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But to have a list together where you don't have to really, I mean, you don't have to think of, you know, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting on top of all your other stuff? You know, your personal, like I said, you know, your, the things for you and your family, your other pets, if you have cats and dogs and stuff like to have a list that you can just go through that we've made, you know, as thorough as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, even if we broke it down into like one section, that's like your primary stuff you know, the stuff that pretty much anybody will, will need. And then like some secondary stuff that maybe might be more specific to, to one thing or the other, but that's, I think that would, that would be a big help for a lot of people just to have something on hand where they can just read it and go, okay, I have that. I have that. I have that. I have that. You know? Yeah. I like it. I like it. We will make it happen. I still have to fill out my contingency plan. I started working on it and then I got distracted and haven't finished it yet. And I need to do that.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing that nobody ever takes into consideration is I'm, I'm obligated by the state of Florida to have emergency contacts. Um, I need an emergency contact just for me uh, in case I go missing or whatever, but I also need an emergency contact for someone who's a licensed handler whom I'm associated with and could, in the event of an emergency, or in the event of something, help me out or, or relieve me of my duties, so to speak. So, obviously, if you're dealing with venomous, they have to be venomous capable. But if you're dealing with harmless stuff too, it, it could just be, you know, the neighbor's kid that you're friendly with to, you know, take care of your geckos if you're stuck in an airport in Milwaukee because of a snowstorm. You know, yeah, you never know. You know, just have that extra thought of hey, do I have the extra bag of Pangea because there's a snowstorm coming or whatever, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah, and I think so, having, you know, the checklists and the contingency plan and stuff, definitely that's the kind of stuff that really does, I think, help the hobby overall, you know, because for people that may yeah. not have the, you know, they don't have the ability to to make documents and stuff like that or they don't sure. know where to start you know to have it just done and yeah. ready and it's as simple as just hitting download you know that's i feel like that that does a lot for a lot of people
0: yeah and even dude even how many times i, I don't have a printer handy or or i'm too busy to 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 save it or take notes or whatever or copy and paste just screenshotting the phone save it to your favorites yeah. real quick you know you can even draw it's, it's on an it and check thing. your boxes yeah yeah exactly so awesome stuff. It's bedtime. It is bedtime. So thank you all for partaking.
1: Is Brent coming Hmm. on this week?
0: Brent is coming on this week. Brent actually just texted me from uh, his new number uh, right before the show and was like, Hey, we're still on for Thursday. He wants to do some promoting on Facebook and other social media venues. So I told him that I would link up with you. Make sure you have his new number and uh, we're gonna get him on because he's a lot of really cool venomous stuff to talk about he's now working more directly with a couple other organizations in terms of snake bite uh, worldwide and you know getting the education and the medical aid to those in need across the world so should be a good show I'm excited
1: yeah Save it and on Google you know, he's that, that could be done yeah, too.
0: he's got it he, he's got a, a new a couple new digs that he's uh, living on the river in the bayous, and he wants to get on Snakes and Stogies, too. I said, so let's let's do THP. We'll do some snake bite medical aid awareness, and uh, and then we're going to have him on Snakes and Stogies soon, too. So,
1: Mr. Worldwide.
0: Mr. Worldwide.
1: So. All right. Well, thank you again, Puget Sound Pythons. Check them out. Get them over 2,000 on Instagram. That's right. Oh. We'll see we'll you'll we'll we'll see everybody next week, but you'll hear us Thursday night. THP one fifteen.
0: One fifteen. I think it's one fifteen. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So thanks for hanging out, y'all. We'll uh catch y'all later. Good night.